This is W T M. Watch this movie. What? <laughs> How you doing? Oh, good for you. Oh, wait. Are you drinking up? First, you gotta do the trunk shuffle. Obviously, you're not a golfer. Watch a few movies, take a few notes. W G M. Watch this movie. Welcome back to a brand new episode of WTM Watch This Movie. I am Eric Mulder. J.C. Penny is coming here because of me. You ask anybody, they'll tell you. Joining me, as always, is Mr. Positivity, Nice Guy Wolfie T. Little pigs, little pigs, let me come in. What's up? That's how you're known now on the Twitters, on the X's. Nice Guy Wolfie T. That's right. And before I forget, let us be the first ones to wish you... <laughs> A happy new year. <laughs> uh, today is January 16th. Probably post this in a few days. I still have plenty of back catalog episodes to post. <laughs> Hope you've been enjoying uh, how, sh- how bad our show used to be. <laughs> There's still some winners in there, even ones with Jason, dare I say. It's true. It's not because of Jason. Uh, <laughs> well, I guess he's cannon fodder for the funny uh, jokes that I make at his expense. There's plenty of episodes where he plays a good role in making them entertaining and funny. And whether that role is a pincushion or otherwise is <laughs> up for debate. But yes, uh, we are kicking off uh, the new year and the new season with a heavy hitter. Best Minnesota movie out there, bar none, Fargo. And with us, to break it all down, we have two guests. First, returned into the show for the third time, maybe? We have Brother Clint. Assess the situation and uh, I'm going. Where are you going? Just leaving. But where? I have to return some videotapes. Hey guys, how you doing? Doing well. Welcome back. <laughs> Thanks for having me again. And uh, new to the show... But uh, not new to the Positively Wolfie podcast, as is Brother Clint. Uh, we have Mike McGivern with us. Yeah? Is this moron number one? Put moron number two on the phone. Hey, thanks for having me, fellas. I said that right, yeah. right, McGivern? Yeah, you nailed it. Okay. <laughs> Perfect. It is a Positively Wolfie reunion. <laughs> it is. For the first time in nearly three years. <laughs> all we're missing Post is pandemic. Chola. Who's that, like, Eric? It's all we're missing is Chola, right? Yeah, I don't think she'd uh, agree to come on our show. <laughs> <laughs> Did you burn that bridge, Brett? Uh, I, uh, no comment. <laughs> all right, well. I'm not saying it's me is the reason why she would not <laughs> come on our show. <laughs> Well, I mean, you're a nice guy, of course. I mean, we've never, I've never met a movie hater. It's always movie lovers, right? So why wouldn't you want to come on? And it's nice it's, guy, Wolfie T. It's in the name. Movie maniac Mulder. <laughs> Don't bring up that shit name. Uh, all right. So uh, let's get into it because it's going to be a while. I, I feel like 
Uh, we're gonna probably gonna get into a lot of Minnesota tangents. Oh yeah. Minnesota related tangents. So without further ado, or I guess with further ado, let's talk about our first time watching it. Uh how old were you? Where did you see it? What did you think then? What do you think now? Uh let's start with Mike. Yeah, great question. So there's there's two memories I have of seeing it. And first time I saw it, it's probably 13 early aughts so you know the movie's a handful of years old but you know saturday night on tnt they would have the new classics so they would have a lot of great films from the 80s and 90s so the first time i really saw it was um and in its edited form so i remember how big of a deal the movie was and you know i liked the coen brothers and i liked the film as seeing it in its edited form but then within a couple of years, I saw it, you know, start to finish um, just renting it, you know, from Blockbuster. And it went from like, oh, that, that film was all right to, oh, my God, that movie is awesome. I, I loved it. So there's times I really miss kind of learning and watching films for the first time on basic cable. Uh, but this is my favorite of the Coen Brothers films. So it has been since I saw that DVD. 20 odd years ago. So I I do remember watching that in uh, my dad's basement and just loving it from the jump. Uh, Brother Clint, how about you? I know we talked about this a little bit when I was on last time, but this is my first time watching it. I watched it literally today, a couple hours ago. <laughs> really? <laughs> That's right. I forgot I've about seen that. the TV show. I'm caught up on all the seasons except for the new one. But oh. um you know, I, I love this movie. Like, it's it's great. Uh, I, I might have seen bits or pieces over the years, but I've never stopped and watched it all the way through like I did today. And I got to say, though, the TV show did, did a good job of, like, kind of taking the spirit of the movie and putting that into a series. But, you know, right. um, I mean, we'll get into the movie later, but obviously the wood chipper at the end is, is classic. You know, just <laughs> first time through, it's like, damn, that was great. Were you uh, expecting the wood chipper at all? Had that been ruined for you? Um, you know, I think we might have talked about it last time, but I, I had no thoughts going into it. I cleared my mind, so nothing was spoiled, and you know, it's uh, a perfect way that you know end the movie there. Sure. All right, Brad. What about you? Yeah, I'm trying to think. It was probably in college when I when I saw it for the first time. Uh, definitely didn't see it right away <clears throat> when it came out and i can't remember if i watched it on demand on like hbo or if i rented it but actually the first time i watched it i remember being a little underwhelmed with it i, I feel that way with a lot of coen brothers movies though where like the first time around i don't really get it like fully but on subsequent rewatches it just gets better and better and uh it's definitely up there. I, I think No Country for Old Men might be the only other Coen Brothers movie that kind of competes with this one as my favorite of theirs. But uh, I think this is possibly the most Minnesota movie ever made. <laughs> and uh, the more, the older I get, the more I appreciate that that piece of it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I had a, a similar story to Mike. I saw this in the late 90s. I don't know if it was TNT or uh, it could have been 
kind of like the ABC Sunday night movie, you know, it's Fargo. Uh, what's the ABC affiliate? I forget. Like you know, KSTP. Movie. Yeah. KSTP. They might've been pumping it as like, it's a Minnesota movie. <laughs> <laughs> Gather the family around the TV and watch some Fargo. And so it was the TV edit. And I remember I just watched it was uh, my mother and I, um, I'm not, I can't remember where, uh, where my dad was or my brothers, but I, I watched it with just my mom. And I remember she just basically hated it. Like, oh, they're just making fun of us. <laughs> like, I don't think even I knew that it was A, Coen Brothers, and B, that Coen Brothers are Minnesotan. So that whole aspect to it is probably uh, lost on me. I knew it was a comedy, and I did, like, enjoy at least a good deal of it as a comedy. I think at the time we might've still been of the impression that it was based on a true story. I can't remember. I, I think like when we were watching it, we were like, well, cause I, I think it was not long after the movie came out, you know, they were pretty upfront about it, that it wasn't a true story at all. But... That's one thing I wanted to, to bring up was the true story aspect, because uh, I remember that being a huge deal for some reason. Mm -hmm. It was like, Oh, it's a true story, but not really. No. <laughs> yeah. I mean, How do they get away with that? How could they say it is a true story if they made the whole thing up? <laughs> I, I do know that there was an attorney in Minneapolis in the 60s that did this. He hired a, some goons to kidnap his wife as some sort of like insurance scheme. Hmm. So that's where maybe subconsciously or the urban legend has got the idea and yet you know n this didn't really happen in 1987 in minneapolis and there wasn't you know in brainerd and, and fargo so i know this wasn't exactly a true story but there's definitely smoke and fire to something that happened in like the mid 60s in minneapolis mm -hmm. when the like, coen brothers would have been you know growing up in right. the suburbs you know right there so as they are one to do, they do reference local people and businessmen and whatnot. In The Serious Man, which we'll uh, discuss on another episode, they mentioned Ron Meshbesher, yeah. <laughs> as in Meshbesher and Spence. Uh, here, when he, <laughs> in the meeting, and the clip we'll play later, talked to old Bill Deal at Midwest Federal. I bet you that was probably a manager or president of the bank at Midwest Federal, probably named Bill Deal. Would not surprise me. Now, why they feel the need just to put in actual people that nobody else would know, but some people in the Twin Cities is maybe it's just a fun in joke, but it adds a it adds a little bit of comedy to the, I guess the you know the people in the know, but it brings some authenticity to it. Yeah, sure, sure. Also, keeping with the urban legends theme, other people may have been up in arms because for a long time it was rumored that, you know, a woman froze to death in northern Minnesota looking for the money. Oh, yeah? And it came out years later that, no, she wasn't looking for the the lost Fargo money. She was just a woman with mental issues, I think. And she got in the cold and got confused and ended up freezing to death, not looking for the, the Fargo money. Looking for that red ice sc scraper. <laughs> yeah. And they even made a, there was a movie made about that. Kind of based on it. Have you heard about this? Have you seen this? Have you heard about this? I um, haven't, though. No. Let's see. I'll get the title here. Because it's a foreign film. 
kind of. It's called Kumiko, the Treasure Hunter. It is a, uh, well, I mean, it's directed by David Zellner, but it's a Japanese cast. I'm not sure if it's all in Japanese language or, but here's the, the plot line. A jaded Japanese woman discovers a hidden copy of Fargo on VHS, believing it to be a treasure map indicating the location of a large case of money. Now, I have not seen this film, but it is pretty fun to think about. This jaded Japanese woman traveling to Minnesota because <laughs> she saw Fargo on VHS. But um, yeah, it's definitely on my uh, to-watch list. But yeah, there's definitely been a lot of lore and urban legends uh, surrounding this film that kind of almost... It was almost like Blair Witch at the time. Blair Witch was only three years after this. Had that internet marketing campaign. It's real, it's real. So I guess people were pretty susceptible to it at the time. You know, the Coens said they did it. The reason they put that based on true story in the beginning was uh, they said the audience will let you get away with a lot more if they think what they're watching is a true story. And they're right, and it it worked in this one. But um, yeah, I, I like the fact that the show has kept up the tradition for each episode. It, or at the beginning of each episode, it states that this is a true story. You know, the names have been changed, but the rest has been out of respect for the dead, blah, blah, blah. But yeah, it's mostly made up. But um, yeah, my mother hated it, thought they were just poking fun at us Minnesotans. I enjoyed it enough, but I think I was still underwhelmed. Like, that's it. But then I saw it later in college. And, you know, you learn more about the Coens when you're in college, when you're a teenager and late 90s. Especially I'm out in the boonies. You guys are in the Twin Cities. You guys were close to the Coens. I had no idea, but um, yeah, it's something that's really grown on me. And now this is one of my favorite all-time comedies, not just Minnesota movies. I could put this on and laugh the entire film. It, like it doesn't get old. I know all the scenes back to front. I, I, the thing is, I'm a little hazy sometimes in the, in the order because it's so kind of, it's pretty untraditional in its structure. Yeah. You know, the, the main character doesn't appear until about 32 minutes in. It's the, it's yeah. the beginning of the second act, and then finally she shows up. But So it's kind of like the movie switches a little bit. It's a little like uh, Full Metal Jacket in that way. But, um, yeah, let's uh, get into the details. So it was directed by Joel and Ethan Cohen, of course, but Ethan was uncredited. This is at the time where a lot of times it would just be Joel Cohen directed by and written by both. And then they kind of doing, I, I think around the time of the Lebowski or, um, Oh brother, where art thou? They kind of, it was like a joint, uh, credited director credit, but let's get through the cast. William H. Macy is Jerry Lundegaard. Steve Buscemi is Carl Showalter. Peter Stormare is uh, Geyer Grimsrud, or Geyer Grimsrud, I should say. Kristen uh, Redrud is Gene Lundegaard. Harvey Presnell is Wade Gustafson. Tony Denman is Scotty Lundegaard. Uh, Melissa Petterman was hooker number two. Steve Rivas played Chef Proudfoot. Larry Brandenburg was Stan Grossman. James Galkey was that state trooper that gets murdered. Francis McDormand as Marge Gunderson. 
John Carroll Lynch plays her husband, Norm. Bruce Bone was Lou. Steve Park is Mike Yanagita. Michelle Hutchinson is escort. I, uh, she's the one that is with Steve Buscemi uh, at the end. Uh, at the celebrity was room. They, <laughs> at the Carlton the, celebrity room. Yeah, at the uh, it's actually the uh, Chan Hesse Dinner Theater. Uh, yeah, Jose Feliciano is, as himself, of course, in that lovely, in that wonderful scene. And if you didn't catch it, that was Bruce Campbell on the TV during the uh, the soap opera. Oh, was it really? Mm-hmm. Wow. Oh, you betcha, yeah. Yeah, I didn't, rec- I didn't recognize him either. I'm not sure what soap opera it was, or maybe if it was just something for the film, but that is him. Synopsis. Minnesota car salesman Jerry Lundegaard's inept crime falls apart due to his and his henchmen's bungling and the persistent police work of the quite pregnant Marge Gunderson. So it starts in Fargo, even though that's not where the bar is. The king of clubs. Yeah, the bar is now... I. So about five years ago or so, Jones and I went um, went on a little like movie, like Minnesota movie... Fuck, what do you, uh, journey? I don't know. We just went around taking pictures of like the drop dead Fred house, uh, the house from a serious man, uh, different, you know, scenes from Coen brothers movies and other films, mostly from the nineties. Um, but we went to this bar and it was, I can't remember if it was demolished and then rebuilt or just, um, changed, but it was, uh, it was under new ownership and it was a completely different bar. They had changed it. And, um, Obviously, the area around it was quite different and didn't really look the same on the inside either. But I think now it is, it might even be closed down again or demolished. I'm not sure. Because I thought like after we took pictures, like it may have closed down, maybe during COVID. But yeah, uh, I know Fargo, the real, the city Fargo, likes to uh, taunt this as a big point of pride and we'll let them. They don't really have anything in North Dakota. But the only reason the film is called Fargo is because the Coen brothers thought it sounded better than Brainerd. So that's how it got the name. And it, and you know what? It doesn't even end in Fargo. It you know, ends in uh, what, east of Grand Forks or east Grand Forks. Or Bismarck. Bismarck. Bismarck, sorry. Yep. But uh, I think that scene or there is at least there's one scene that's filmed in North Dakota, from what I recall. But um, I think it may be the hotel scene. Either that or it's a, it's a highway shot or scene but um it's pretty much all in the twin cities well mdb says the paul bunyan statute was in bathgate north dakota i don't believe that well i don't believe it because i read or heard the other day the statue in front of brainerd is fake it's not if they have a statue it's a different statue like they built that for the movie oh now there are there's I think there's five or six cities throughout the Midwest that have a Paul Bunyan statue. If I recall, I think there's three in Minnesota. Uh, maybe somebody can look this up, but there's, I think there's one in North Dakota, maybe one or two in Wisconsin and Michigan. But to my recollection, that's, that's how it goes. So that coming in out of uh, Brainerd, that's, uh, that's not their statue. Well, they I do. They do have a statue, right? But they do. That's not the one that's I in the think, movie. I think they have a statue, but that's not the one that's in the movie. Which I don't know if theirs is like tiny or I don't know, not next to the road or like a convenient uh, spot to shoot. I don't know. Oh yeah, the one in Brainerd has uh, Babe the Ox next to it. 
Yeah. Because the Oxusi is at the, the Blue Ox Motel. Yeah. Is it, is it, In the movie, it's just the Paul Bunyan by itself. Yeah. Skating around butter, fucking skillets and pancakes. <laughs> We talk about pancake house in a little bit. Brett, did you smell the pancakes I was eating at work today? No, I, I don't have a very strong sense of smell. Uh, the wife, uh, she, she wasn't at work today, but she made pancakes for me, and I was wanting for lunch, not breakfast, because I got a breakfast sandwich, and then I was all like, oh, pancakes later, and then Brad turns around and goes, "Oh, I thought I smelled pancakes." <laughs> It's like, you know, it's noon. I'm at my desk eating pancakes. <laughs> Let's go to Pancake House. What do you want pancakes for? I want a shot and a steak. <laughs> pancakes for breakfast. <laughs> I like how he says we have to go to Pancake's house. Like, Pancake is like a, you know, a, a person. Yeah. <laughs> you can really see how this plan all fell apart. <laughs> these two geniuses at the helm of the well you know it's gonna it's gonna be bad when you get there and they got the table full of empties <laughs> and they're arguing about what time they were supposed to meet and, and you know from there it's just like you should have just called it off right there yeah you know it's it, there's nothing good is coming of this well it, this is one thing i was thinking about is who do you think was actually like I think Jerry was on time. I don't, I think he's going to be there. Like, I think they just got there early because they didn't remember what time it was. And then they probably were pissed yeah. at Jerry that's about a, it. That's a good point. He pissed three times already. Yeah. <laughs> You're Jerry Lundegaard? Yeah. Shep Proudfoot said. Shep said you'd be here at 7.30. What gives, man? Shep said 8.30. We've been sitting here an hour. He's peed three times already. Oh, I'm sure sorry. Shep told me 8.30. It was a mix-up, I guess. You got the car? Yeah, you bet. It's out in the lot there. Brand new Burnt Umber Sierra. Yeah, okay. Well, sit down then. I'm Carl Showalter. This is my associate, Gayer Grimsrud. Yeah, how you doing? So, we all set on this thing then? Sure, Jerry. We're all set. Why wouldn't we be? Yeah, no, I'm, I'm sure you are. Shep vouched for you and all. I got every confidence here in you fellas. I, I guess that's it then. Here are the keys. No, that's not it, Jerry. Huh? The new vehicle plus $40,000. Yeah, but the deal was the car first, then the 40000 Like as if it was the ransom. I thought Shep told you. Shep didn't tell us much, Jerry. Well, okay. It's... Except that you were going to be here at 7.30. Yeah, well, that was a mix-up then. Yeah, you already said that. Yeah, but it, it's not a whole pay-in-advance deal. See, I give you a brand-new vehicle in advance, and then... I'm not going to debate you, Jerry. Okay. I'm not going to sit here and debate. I will say this, though. What Shep told us didn't make a whole lot of sense. Oh, no. It's real sound. It's all worked out. You want your own wife kidnapped? Yeah. You... My point is, you pay the ransom, what, 80,000 bucks? I mean, you give us half the ransom, 40,000, you keep half. It's like robbing Peter to pay Paul. It doesn't make any sense. Oh, okay. See, it's not me paying the ransom. The thing is, my wife, she's wealthy. Her dad, he's real well off. Now, I'm in a bit of trouble. What kind of trouble are you in, Jerry? 
Well, that's, that's, I'm not gonna get into, into, see, I just need the money. Now, her dad, he's real well off. So, why don't you just ask him for the money? Or your fucking wife, you know. Or your fucking wife, Jerry. Well, it's all part of this. They don't know I need it, see? Okay, so there's that. And even if they did, I wouldn't get it. So there's that on top then. See, these are personal matters. Personal matters? Yeah, personal matters that needn't, uh... Okay, Jerry. You're tasking us to perform this mission, but you won't, uh... You won't... Oh, fuck it. Let's take a look at that Sierra. Uh, something I wanted to bring up. I guess we need to talk about it now. What kind of trouble do you think Jerry was in? Why does he need all that money? I don't think they ever said, right? But, uh... They don't. I mean, clearly he was scamming that loan place that uh, they're trying to get the, the car uh, VIN numbers for. Yeah, yeah, he was scamming GMAC. Uh, but I don't know if that was why he needed the money, though. Yeah, that's that's what I'm trying to figure out, because there's multiple serial serial numbers that uh, that insurance or the the sorry, the loan agency is missing. Now, one of them is the the Tan Sierra. That he's given these two get these two uh, criminals burnt over. Where, <laughs> yeah. where are the other cars going? Probably just gonna sell them from his lot. They they might not even exist. No, they. I don't think they exist because you know he's the sales manager, so mm -hmm. I, he's got to answer to the father-in-law. You know, if sales are really down or they're not nearly as much as they're saying, you know, and that's kind of. The, the business is, I mean, and he's such a loser, you know, he does such a great job at being a loser and the, he can never get the father-in-law's blessing or favor, you know, like mm -hmm. he's never going to be good enough for the daughter for sure. And so that's a great kind of subplot of the whole movie too. So I always just kind of thought that the lot wasn't doing as well as maybe the father-in-law thought and he was kind of Faking the numbers. Now we don't know that for sure, but that's what I always kind of thought, especially when he's talking about those VIN numbers throughout the film. Although yeah. he only he only tries to get forty thousand dollars out of it, so I mean, it seems like he should need a lot more than that. Couldn't you say that even from the very beginning of the film, he's already thinking he's going to ask for a million, mm -hmm. and you know, because that's what he ends up doing. Oh yeah, maybe. And he just yeah. tells Buscemi that they're getting 40000 half of eighty, knowing the whole time that he's going to... That's why he wants everything to run through him so he can separate the money. Right. I didn't, I didn't then, catch that. Yeah, I was, then he gets I was thinking Grossman. he was only going to ask for 80000 but then he didn't get that parking lot, uh, which was 70... Uh, well, 700... 750, yeah. 50000 right? So I think because it didn't get the lot... Benny up to two a million, but maybe I could, you know, because that's what uh, you know. Skipping ahead to the end, it was, you know, Bashemi only gave the forty, saying he only got the eighty, you know, when he got the bag. But because when he thinks that Wade's going to give him the seven hundred and fifty for the parking lot, he's like, oh, I might not need this anymore. Right. That's when he tries to call yeah. it off. So I'm I'm just trying to figure out if he was maybe trying to finance the parking lot himself with these bogus VIN numbers. But then it's like, well, why are you even going through all this trouble to put it into a, another business venture, this parking lot, which you probably have to account for the money that you're going to, if you're getting a loan from a bank 
or $750,000 if you're getting that much money up front. Like, how is he going to make that all work with taxes and, you know, keep it all at least appearing legal, you know? I would almost argue the VIN numbers were real because he had a sheet of numbers that he was t rewriting real sloppily on the piece of paper he was going to turn in the day the loan company, you know, demanded it before they went to legal. Like he had, he had a list of 12 VIN numbers. And I don't know if that was cars separate from the deal or not, but it almost looked like there was a dozen vehicles. Would it be possible that he's putting in VIN numbers for cars that are paid in full up front, but he's just saying they're not, that they need financing? It is possible because he's trying to make them look as real as possible with making it illegible as possible, too. So it's hard yeah. to say either way, but uh, I think it's a good possibility it could be real. I'm in a bit of trouble, and it's like, well, how did he get into trouble? He just started trying to rip off, you know, this this finance agency. I don't know. We could but... we could phone Denny Hacker to see if he could answer <laughs> that for us. Everyone across the country knows that reference. He's the number one car dealer in the state for years. It's probably out of jail by now, right? If he's still pretty alive. close, didn't he? Did he die in jail? I forget. No, I don't think so. I, I think he's still with us. But now that I'm, I'm thinking about it. Maybe Lundegaard was going to go for the million and give the forty thousand to those two guys, and that's what Buscemi ended up doing. Mm -hmm. You know, in the end, he did what you know Jerry was going to do, right? Uh, because he gets Stan Grossman on board at the Embers saying, I got to do it myself. And then Stan goes, you know, he's right. You know, like we got to do this right. We got to go all the way with this and everything. And fine, I'll get the million, you know. And so the father-in-law comes to that idea kind of on his own, which is maybe the only victory Jerry has in the whole movie. During that meeting, Wade says, why don't we just offer them a half a million? Like, no, 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 no. We got to give them the whole amount. Right. Yeah. So initially, Stan is on board with Jerry. But at zero hour, right before they leave, you know, <laughs> Wade says he doesn't want him mucking it up. And Wade uh, makes an executive decision. Yeah. And yeah. Stan's kind of with him. And he's like, you know, if you want, we'll handle the phone call. I can handle the phone call, Jerry. You know, he's kind of back on. Wade's side so yeah there was no way he was gonna Jerry was gonna be able to switch the money out before the drop well to Mike's point too Jerry is such a fuck up like he he projects himself as like he's confident he knows what he's doing but really like anytime he gets into any like sticky situation he just loses his cool mm -hmm. and uh, like everything goes wrong I think Wade well, had a perfect read on him the whole Absolutely. time yes and to that you know idea of like i know people like jerry they could never pull off something like this and you know he's he's too much of a nice guy he's with to be involved with these people so it's never going to work despite whatever you know knee deep in it he is no matter how knee deep in it he gets it's it's never gonna work, and it's right until the end. He's still hiding out in a motel in Bismarck at the <laughs> end, and he thinks, you know, like, what is his plan up there? 
Like what, what is he, you know, I'm surprised he didn't make a run for the border, to be honest with you. You're so far North. He could have yeah. probably gotten into Canada, but I don't know. Well, as uh, Brett and I discussed on our uh, house, the Jack built episode, the law cannot see past state lines. Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I guess Obviously, North Dakota's got reciprocity with uh, <laughs> with the Minnesota. Now, with a crime of this nature, it becomes more of like a you know federal crime. You get you get cooperation from other state agencies, and we got involved in some sort of a well, more than just a triple homicide because there's it's five total, right? Because there's the three from the the pullover. Mm-hmm. And then there's Wade, and then yeah. there's uh, the wood chipper, Carl. Yeah, but there's also they, the, they implied the, the wife got killed too. Yeah, she did. She yeah. did. You got killed. and and the parking attendant got killed. Six, seven. Um, yeah, <laughs> not that yeah, he did it, all that, it, but he's involved in all of it. It jumped quite a bit at the end. <laughs> oh, she was screeching, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Carl was lucky that wasn't him in the car ride. She was interrupting his stories. <laughs> uh, all right. So I guess let's just get to the next scene then, or the next clip, which I think is the next scene. It's Jerry at the car dealership selling a car. We sat right here in this room and went over this and over this. Yeah, but that true coat. I sat right here and said I didn't want any true coat. Yeah, but I'm saying that true coat. You don't get it. You get oxidation problems. It'll cost you a heck of a lot more than $500. You're sitting there. You're, you're talking in circles. You're talking like we didn't go over this already. Yeah, but this true coat. We had a deal here for nineteen five. You sat there and darn if you didn't tell me you'd get me this car, these options, without the ceiling for nineteen five. All right. I'm not saying I didn't. You called me 20 minutes ago and said you had it ready to make delivery. It says, come on down and get it. And, 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 and here you are, and you're wasting my time and my wife's time, and, and I'm paying nineteen five for this vehicle here. All right. I'll talk to my boss. See, they installed that true code at the factory. There's nothing we can do. But I'll, I'll talk to my boss. These guys here, these guys. It's always the same. It's always more. These guys. <laughs> the wife's great. She, you know, doesn't even say a word, but she's got it nailed, too. <laughs> He earned her paycheck with that scene. I like when he comes back and the, the customer drops an F-bomb. I mean, you, you can tell like he, he does not swear in his normal vernacular. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he's just so irate that he, it just like, ugh, it comes out. Well, he never done this before, but seeing as it's special circumstances and all, he says I can knock a hundred dollars off that true coat. One hundred. You lied to me, Mr. Lundgaard. You're a bald-faced liar. Fucking please. A fucking liar. Fucking please. Where's my goddamn checkbook? Let's get this over with. Where is it? Get my checkbook so we can get out of here. <laughs> get the checkbook. <laughs> this is another great uniquely minnesotan thing though that you know i have only noticed it the last couple of times i've seen it where both the the guy and his wife buying the car and carl later in the movie at the pay lot um just cheap scandinavians you know and i'm not saying 500 dollars isn't a lot of money but 
that somebody's trying to screw me out of my money. I don't trust anybody with anything having to do with my money. You know, Carl just killed a guy in the parking ramp. And then he's arguing about a $4, you know, parking fee. No, well, that was, if, uh, that was after he stole the license plate. I'm sorry. You're right. You're right. But irregardless, if I just broke the law and I decided not to park, <laughs> I'm still not going to pay, I'm going to get the hell out of there. <laughs> I don't care about the $4. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and it, and ends up, you know, the person's hawking the horn behind him because he's going on so long over $4 and it's, and so those are a couple more of just the most subtle touches that I don't think right. a lot of Minnesotans appreciated besides the, the, uh, uh, accents that drove people nuts, which is dead on for people from Northern Minnesota, but is another just subtle cultural thing that I'm not sure if you're from Georgia or you're from you know Colorado or something that you would even get the whiff of that. And, you know, the used car salesman, the car salesman and, and the $500 add on just, just being there to screw him, screw the consumer over very, mm-hmm. very uniquely upper Midwest. <laughs> well, and then him just going to the other room and the other guys watching go for hockey. And he's yeah. like, hey, you're going to the game tonight? You got an extra ticket? <laughs> like he's more concerned about hockey. You kidding? Than what he's doing. You kidding? <laughs> this is back when gophers were huge. They won a couple of titles in the you know, 70s and 80s with Herb Brooks. So they were uh, a hot ticket in town. I mean, it's, it's the state of hockey. They're still pretty popular, although – you know, they're, they're pretty good again the past couple of years, but there was about a 10-year stretch where their popularity really waned. Like, they weren't selling out. Fuck the, forget the name of the arena. Uh, Mariucci. Mariucci, thank you. Yeah. Uh, they weren't selling out Mariucci Arena anymore. And that was like, uh, they always sold it out for decades. <laughs> a long time. Kind of like the Excel. Yeah. And Scotty was, you know, wasn't going to be able to go out for hockey because of his grades. There's no yeah. fucking way. That's that's a real <laughs> threat to a young man in the the West Metro. Gee, mom, it's only like an hour a day. I I, I can do it. But no fucking way. Hey, let's watch that language there. He's definitely Jerry's son, though. I bet you Jerry wasn't much of a student when he was growing up either. Oh no, no he, <laughs> he was he was average at best. When he's eating his cereal, and the mom's like. You're not a C student, but you're getting C grades. Uh, <laughs> and he's just like, yeah, yeah. And he's eating the cereal, like not paying attention to her, just saying, yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know if that's a uniquely Minnesotan thing. It's probably like a national, just a, I think kids do when they're annoyed or, you know, can't be bothered to talk to their mother, heaven forbid. But um, I identified with that. <laughs> like, I remember doing that growing up. <laughs> I'm trying to watch cartoons and eat my fucking cereal. I mean, I would never, I would never say the F bomb in front of my parents when I was a kid. Never did that. No, but, no. But I appreciate it. You know, he couldn't stand to eat dinner with boring grandpa who hates his dad <laughs> and he just wants to go up and leave. And like, that's a generational thing too. Of grandpa's like, what the hell are you doing letting the kid leave before he finished? And he's going to McDonald's. He's yeah, just the like next straight generation. Says, I'm like, going to McDonald's. Yeah, who cares? Like, he's. He wants to hang you know, out with his friends. You know what they do at that McDonald's? They <laughs> drinking milkshakes up there. <laughs> About the true code, I I had a, a similar experience when I bought my uh, car ten years ago. Negotiate the price, negotiate the trade in, and then uh, 
you know, we get to working on the financing and you go in there to the finance guy and he says, well, uh, I got a few other things to offer you. Would you like some rust proofing for $500? I was like, well, wait a minute. We already discussed the price. We already came to a, an agreement here. No, I would not like $500 in rust proofing. Thank you very much. Yeah, I had that with a $500 warranty the last time. Like one yeah. more thing. They, they had like, like three different things. It was like, do you want <laughs> rust proofing, uh, under uh, undercoating, uh, or uh, extended uh, bumper to bumper warranty? And it was like between like $500 and $2,000 to get them. And they're like, well, no, because I. I already agreed on a price for the vehicle. I don't want any of this extra shit. What was David Putty's line on Seinfeld? We we don't even know what that is. <laughs> the undercoating. Well, Brett knows. I got taken to the woodshed a little bit. Uh, by yeah, I was hoping you'd tell your story. <laughs> by uh, I'm not afraid to to say Maury's. That piece of shit fucking dealership Maury's. Maury's. Shit, Maury's. There's plenty of them around the the Twin Cities Metro. But I, they basically sold me a lemon, but it was a Mini Cooper. Fucking really, I wanted a Mini Cooper at the time, and they had one that I liked. And it was one of those deals where I was like, well, you know, I want this. They know I want it. And I know it's a, okay, it's a Mini. You know, it's kind of a import. You know, it's not necessarily seen as like, you know, a safest buy you could make. You know, <laughs> you're, you're, you're gambling a little bit. So I was like, all right, I'll get that extended warranty. I got rust proofing, which was stupid, but. Boy, I feel like a horse's patoot. You know, I got a, I got a couple of add-ons, and there was a lot of work that it, this was like a five-year-old car at the time. Yeah, right. it was like uh, like five years old, I think, when I bought it, and uh, there was plenty of problems along the way. I mean, for the most part, it it never like broke down on me down the road, but there was always times where it was like. Oh, you're bringing in because uh, this sounds funny. Oh, this is broken. Oh, you need a new water pump. Turns out the water pump was one of the only fucking things that that warranty covered because <laughs> everything was like a wear. Oh, that's a wearable. So that's, yeah. this isn't covered. This isn't covered. And even if it was covered, like the water pump being uh, I think because it got, it was one of those winters where it got to like, you know, 20 some below one night, not windshield. <laughs> yeah. And um, they're like, okay, your water pump's covered, but it's a hundred dollar deductible. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> then they but, get you on a service plan too. And then they would still like, Charge you like a hundred dollars for oil changes or something? No, I mean I got you know that I got the like the extended warranty thing. I didn't do a I didn't do a service plan. Um, they might have given me a couple of free oil changes. Uh, I thought it or something, but had something like that. And then like you went in and they're like, oh yeah, you need to get the special conventional oil or uh, synthetic synthetic oil that's not covered under the service plan. Yeah, I don't know. I can't remember, but even if it was, it wasn't that. I mean, I have I do I do synthetic for my Mazda now, and that's that's not that much. It makes well, me wonder. Oil what... changes have gone up like double in the last like four years. Right, right. Hearing the the warranty horror stories makes me wonder what you know, Ice T and Ric Flair are really really peddling with the, <laughs> the car shield, those ubiquitous ads on during the day. Uh-huh. But they go farther. <laughs> well. <laughs> I got to imagine that that company just makes hand over fist though. Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. Oh yeah. The sheer volume of ads, it has to work like gangbusters. 
Well, I, I got a dealer story too. It's not as bad as Eric's, but like, I, well, I hold on, hold on car. a second. I, <laughs> yeah, after after it. I did end up finally traded it in, uh, I went to a different dealership. I won't say this one because I I don't feel as taken by them, but they did try every old trick in the book. After I just had a horror story of a an experience with this other dealership, and when I was, you know, working out all the numbers, like, okay, this number. Okay, this number looks good. Let's uh let's start doing up the paperwork. All right, why don't you go out to the waiting room? You know, this will take a little bit. Relax. Then they come back and like, oh, we forgot to put you know like this fee in or what, what you know we forgot to add these charges. And so they redo all the numbers. Okay, this is what it's going to cost per month. Okay, that sounds fine. And then they come back later. Oh, sorry. You know what? We forgot to tabulate. We didn't put in the interest. <laughs> They didn't put an interest of wow. the loan into the monthly payment. And I'm like, are you in my head? I'm like, are you fucking kidding me? Is this the first time you sold a car to a, a person? Right. I was dealing with like this older lady. It seemed like she had been there forever. And I was like, I don't know. Maybe she just forgot. But like at, in hindsight, it was probably just a ploy by them to kind of get you really wanting that car and committed. They wanted you pot committed. Before they rakes you over the coals with it. Oh yeah, we forgot to add the interest. Loans that's, have interest. That's wild too, because the interest rate is like the first thing that you discuss when you talk about financing, mm-hmm. right? And uh, these dealers, like at least the last couple of times I bought cars, it's like they have a program on their computer, and they're like have all those numbers plugged in, and they're like, <clears throat> you know, how much down payment do you want to pay? Okay, this is your payment monthly with this much down payment or this month. And it takes two seconds to fucking change the, the payment. I know companies like uh Carvana and Vroom and some of these other, you know, apps and online car dealers have really struggled to turn a profit. But mm. if someone could really figure out how to to do it a certain way and get rid of the car dealerships. I mean, talk about a multi-billionaire, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, overnight, if you can start that company that actually turns a major profit, because nobody has good stories about, you know, car dealerships. I mean, I, I got my last car at CarMax and it actually was a, a, a pretty good process. And I thought they gave me a very fair price, but it was still the nickel and diming, you know, about the warranty or, you know, the, you know, if well, you can get that, you know, version of the car, but that's at our Denver location. So you know, that's a two thousand uh, dollar, you know, travel, you know, fee or whatever. It's like, <laughs> dude, if I'm gonna pay thirty grand for a car, like, you can load it up on the 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 trailer itself and and bring it here in two days. Like, please don't make me pay for that. So, uh, one of the, the many things I guess in our world that is nobody likes, we're just we are helpless to it, though, and there's got to be a better way. Apparently, there's a thing called car brokers that are out there. Like they just kind of go looking for a car, and I don't know if they go to the auctions themselves and find you a car. But I I've been told by a few people that have used them that the experience is so much better than going to a dealer. Uh, I haven't looked too much into it, but that's good to know. Uh, I always worry about like, what if you do get a lemon? You know, like how do you undo it you know like is there still a couple days to figure out like you want to return it or 
you know, uh, or even test driving, you know, like if, how do you know you want a car, you know, without driving it? Like I always got to like figure out if it fits my style or I'm comfortable in it, you know, do you have to go through the dealer to try that and then work through the broker to buy it? I, I That's some of the questions I have about the brokers, but overall I've heard good things about brokers compared to dealers. Do they still have that true car service? Mm-hmm. Yeah. But same thing, it's it's lost a ton of money. So there's no like what's the future of that company? Well, I remember when I bought my car uh as a perk of my uh, job, they gave us true car for free. And so like you you could do that and then they'd be like, Okay, this is your guaranteed you know, highest amount you'll pay for this specific car. But it's like they add like another two fifty on for their like process, you know, their their fee uh, for negotiating it on your behalf. Whereas, like, I I kind of got lucky because uh, the the salesman I worked with, he retired like three months after uh, I bought my car, and so he didn't give a shit. <laughs> and so he's like, "Okay, this is the invoice price. We can get uh, like thirty five hundred from Chrysler and incentives." So we can give it to you for thirty five hundred under the invoice. That's like the bottom line lowest lowest price, and then we negotiated my my trade in, and I got like an extra five hundred on that from what they originally uh, quoted me. So that part worked out okay. But once we got to the financing office, you know, that guy was continuing to work, so he's he's pushing the the rust proofing and shit. That's well, I think it says a lot that. This film was set in 1987, and it's still basically the same process as mm -hmm. 2024. Right. So I, I, yeah, that's interesting though. Uh, Clint, did you have something else with your car or something? Oh well, you know, just real quick. Yeah, I bought a a car and just quickly they gave me the finance price, like the monthly option, and um, they had stuck in like a thirty-two hundred dollar warranty or something on me. And then uh, I didn't catch it on the line items when I signed the contract, but uh, the guy's like, oh, there's a warranty included. There's no extra cost. And he kept saying no extra cost. And I'm like, oh, that's great. So it's free. And he's like, yeah, no extra cost. And, <laughs> you know, so then uh, a day or two later, I'm looking at it at home. I realized my mistake. I saw the line item for 3200 and uh, I think he threw in gap. I think I kept the gap because that's a good thing to have, but like. It was just a battle trying to get that warranty refunded uh, because it was a shit warranty anyways. Like, I'm not sure what exactly it covered, but you had to pay everything up front. So like everything it claimed to cover like engine or transmission or something like that, you'd be out of pocket until like you sent in the bill and then they paid you back. If they even paid you back, you, you know, it was hard to tell what that actual warranty that he sold me. And then, um, God, it took like two months, I think, to get it refunded. Uh, I ended up talking to like the, I don't know, it was a manager, director, Hoover was the big shot at that dealer. Uh, short line, if you're in Colorado, please don't go there. They're awful. <laughs> There's a <laughs> bunch of them. They shut, that shut down like three of them, actually. But uh, wow. uh, at least on the road, like this Havana Street had like five of them, and there's like only two left i think 
but it was it was super awkward because the director or whatever was like yeah finally you know they agreed to refund it to me but i come in and sign something and i got there and she wouldn't come see me so she made me actually uh deal with the guy who forced the warranty on me which was even more awkward <laughs> Because like we didn't want to look each other in the eyes. Because at that point we were done arguing. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but awful experience. Now I I triple check anytime I want to buy a vehicle what they're throwing on the line items. One thing my dad figured out too is a lot of these dealerships. If you do financing, they'll say, "Okay, your first payment is in forty five days," as opposed to in thirty days, which means they get an extra fifteen days of interest out of your first payment. <laughs> you know, as opposed to you know the the thirty day uh, amount that they normally would get, and it's just another subtle thing that they do, which they tried to do that to me on my last car and maybe even the one before it. We're like, no, I'll just do it in the thirty days, and you know, I'll pay the normal amount of interest out of it, <clears throat> which they reluctantly do. They go, oh, you know, <laughs> uh... you know, you could save some money. You don't have to pay for forty five days. So, yeah, well, you know what you're that's doing. that's brilliant. Tricks of the trade. So so Clint, you're living in Colorado. Uh where, where yep. do you live, Mike? I live here in Minneapolis. Okay. Uh because all three of you hail from Woodbury, do you not? That's correct. This is true. Yep. So I'm from the I'm from the boonies. We kind of touched on it a little bit ago, but let's talk about how accurate this movie is. That uh as I put in my review. Uh, it's more accurate than people realize or that Minnesotans would likely admit, I think. Yeah. Because, I, I mean, the voices so. the voices are exaggerated to point, but there are some that I'll hear, and I go, I have heard that exact voice before. And it's not an exaggeration, at least for that one. I think it's more common definitely out in the boonies, in the rural areas. Does that be north, southwest? I'm from west central Minnesota. Straight west of the cities, in fact, about two and a half hours. And there was plenty of people that sounded like that, especially in the 80s and 90s. I was born in 86, so I don't remember much in the 80s. But and like I remember, like without a doubt, when my grandpa was hanging up the phone, he'd end it with, okay, real good. And then <laughs> hangs up the receiver. Real good is always in there. And like Jerry says that as he's uh, ending a call, I'll shoot it right over to you. Okay, real good. Let my lady send you a copy. Uh, but just little subtle things like that. Like they got the language to a T. Not surprising since it's the Cohen brothers. But, you know, they probably heard more of it because, I mean, even being in the cities, you know, they grew up in the, what, the 60s, 70s. And they, I guarantee you that that accent was more prevalent back then. I mean, we we all talk now. We don't really. I know my accent comes out a little bit in certain moments, but it's not too bad. But I think, Brett, correct me if I'm wrong, I think the movie drone guys have stated before that we sound a little funny, don't they? Like Aside from being typical Yanks. Probably, but they, they sound funny to us. Yeah, they do. <laughs> they legitimately sound funny. They sound funny to Stu. <laughs> well, Stu hates English people. Well, his dad's English. <laughs> he doesn't hate English people. He calls them all palms. <laughs> yeah, because his dad's English, but he thinks uh, Stephen Marks sound like cunt in the gang, which is something that <laughs> only, I guess, mostly British people will know. But 
anywho, yeah, I think the language is pretty spot on. Obviously, it's, I mean, they kind of beat the oh yeah into the ground, uh, especially early on with Marge and Lou. Yeah. Oh yeah. Like they just the entire conversations back and forth is it's the question <laughs> and the answer that they're saying back and forth to each other. As, oh, yeah? as I in, as oh, I yeah, involuntarily yeah. answer you with yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. I that's, especially... a, that's a real conversation. I, I mean, that's one I've been a part of. I yeah. I was but... able to follow it. For, for Brainer, that's, exactly. that's spot on. You know, I thought uh, Jerry and uh, Gene, I thought they were a little heavy for being in the cities, but, you know, if they were originally from up north, uh, it's perfect. You know, that's exactly yeah. what I'd expect. Yeah, we had relatives in the Iron Range, and I mean, the, the, pretty much everybody in the Iron Range talks like they do in the movie. Yeah, I Dead agree. on. I mean, that's what really the accent is. I mean, I tell people that they ask me about the accent. I say, well, that's really like this northeast part of Minnesota is the only place that you really hear it like that. Everybody has that accent up there. You know, like obviously you could go anywhere in the state and hear that accent. But now that's really like I know someone's from the Iron Range if I hear that accent. Yeah. Yeah. Living in the cities, I honestly don't hear it that much. But when I go back home, I definitely hear it more. Right. Not that it's yeah. necessarily common now, but I still hear it back there. But they they nail it because, you know, oh for Pete's sake, and mm-hmm. you know I'll fix yeah. you some eggs. You know that was that was right. always something that was very I'll fix you some breakfast, I'll fix you some eggs. Like they nailed just the 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 language totally in the movie. That again, I I kind of feel like I'm I'm laughing at it because it's so perfect and dead on. But I don't know if. What, what percentage of people that have seen this movie can even pick up on that? They're meeting up at Embers. Yeah. <laughs> I I feel like uh, I've been hearing it more frequently in person. I, I don't know. I just, I just been noticing it more often. So like this time, like it didn't make me laugh when they were doing it. It was just like, this is a really good crime thriller that's set in Minnesota. <laughs> <laughs> You know, what I mean? like out of context, I guess it's you know you could laugh at it, but I, I wasn't like laughing at the the dialogue and stuff. I was like, this is just how people talk. <laughs> That's how I felt watching it too. I definitely don't catch myself saying things like "oh yeah" as much as I used to, but yeah, back in the day and even up through college, I would say "oh yeah" all the time, and like uh, with an I can with like an accent. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. No yeah. Yeah no. And it's not, it's kind of hard to explain the accent necessarily because it's not just a long O sound. I always try to explain it with using the word coach as in like a basketball coach because the accent would say it coach, which is almost like if you just do a long O coach, that's not how it is. It's like, it's almost like they add a second syllable. They're really trying to pronounce the A almost, but the A is almost like a W. So if you say C-O, like for the first syllable, and then which as a second syllable, but say it really fast, like coach, 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 you're not saying W, but it like almost, that's kind of how you get to that long O accent, I think. Nailed it. Coach. People always catch me when I say Minnesota. Like, uh... <laughs> 
uh, I hide my accent pretty well, but if I say Minnesota, you know, they, they catch that yeah. O at the end. I say it a little harder, but. I only get nailed on when I say no. I'll just, yeah. Yeah, no. And what? No. That's the it's only almost time like a, people like a go, different what, what? tone of O or something, you know? Yeah. Like, no, it's like going up and down. Uh, yeah, I could. Yep. That's a good one. But that is all over the place in this one. It's such a goofy accent that people don't go like, oh, that's a really bad Minnesota accent. Like this current season of Fargo, John Hamm's like Minnesota accent is not very good. I mean, he's he's great in it and it's a great season, but well, it's to be it's fair, not... he's a Fargo man. Well, North Dakota, not Fargo. True, you're right. True. That's a fair point. Uh whereas like the Boston accent in films, people go absolutely nuts mm-hmm. over you know, like Kevin Costner and JFK, Jack Nicholson. Yeah. And the, the Departed. <laughs> yeah. Like, you know, people, people go nuts about that. And mm-hmm. that's where I'm like, well, that's where our accent is even more insane than the New England, like Boston accent. Because I'll always, I've said for 10 years now, like if Elon Musk said the things he says, and if he had a Minnesota accent, He'd be in a mental institution. <laughs> like people, people wouldn't be like, "Oh, he's such a genius." They they would have him committed to be like, you know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, we're gonna start boring. We're gonna bore underneath, and we're gonna go from L.A. to Las Vegas in two hours, and we're gonna do it. And people, like, no way that works. It's gonna be real no way good. That's gonna work. And he's got the South African, which is a was crazy accent too. But right. I'm telling you, like, <laughs> you know, like. If if Hitler was from Minnesota, I think people would be like, you know, I don't agree with his Jew killing policy, but you got to admit he's a heck of a public speaker. <laughs> oh, sure. Oh, you betcha. Yeah. 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 Oh, you betcha. <laughs> Where do um, we go from there? I don't know. There's nowhere to go. <laughs> well, we talk about, they even get some of the food right, you know? And Marge, how's the fricassee? Which oh, I don't think is good. something that's more, that's like a Midwest thing, right? I don't even know what fricassee is, to be honest. But I did see in the the trivia that restaurant with the buffet was Tanucci's out of Newport. Oh, wow. Oh, really? Mm. I want to feed that to my dog. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Randy Moss the is joining the, join the, join the Randy podcast. Randy Moss is here. <laughs> I forgot that was Tanucci's. See, I'm you know I'm not from the city, so I've never even eaten at it at Tanucci's. But they had a second one in Woodbury that wasn't as good as the Newport one, though. Okay. Bad location. Yeah, that new season of Fargo, you know, takes place mostly in Scandia, and I didn't even know that was a town. I did. I was like, it's got to be a town because all the other Fargos have real locations. I look it up, sure as shit, Scandia. It's only about a half hour northeast of the cities. It's really nice. Damn, I never like, even heard of it. Huge real estate up there. Mm. Like really nice properties. And you know, but that goes to the point of how accurate the movie is with a lot of location and and places. They do take liberties on the TV show where I can't suspend my disbelief when one season it's you know, a cop from Bemidji falling in love and with a cop from Duluth and throughout the season, they're like, well, I'm just going to hop in the car and come see you. Like they're like probably three hours apart. 
but on the show, <laughs> it makes you think like they're neighboring towns. Hey, they can know, put and... on the put on the lights and just get there. And You're have right. Time. You're right. And I <laughs> like that's nitpicking to the nth degree. And I can suspend my disbelief and still really enjoy this show. But that's a subtle difference, I think, in all the seasons of this show where the attention to detail isn't quite there the way the Coen brothers mm -hmm. um, in the original Fargo and and A Serious Man and things like that really nail it. It doesn't think, matter. It, no, my, it's my, not that big of <laughs> a deal. My favorite scene in this film for, I guess, it being the most Minnesota and the most relatable to me is the... We'll get to it later. We'll play the clip, but it's Mr. Mora and the officer purely because I mean, the accents are great. It's fucking hysterical. I do. I do remember hearing people talk like that, but if you look at the background, it's just a bunch of houses and then a huge grain elevator that <laughs> towers over everything. And my hometown amount of video, there was a co-op there, but it, there was like an elevator kind of in the middle of the town, but it's been underused since like the eighties. So they have kind of their co-op is outside of town now, but we're kind of like the biggest town in within like the surrounding 45 miles or so. And every other little town that's from like population two, 300 people to like 1500 people, they all look the exact same. It's a bunch of, well, it's like 50 houses, a gas station, a church, a bar, and a fucking huge grain elevator right in the middle. Oftentimes a train too but yeah it's always got that big grain every, every town is just built around a grain elevator or a church a lot of uh, a lot of reformed churches around there i mean there's catholics and stuff but it's a lot of lutheran reformed mainly those two denominations so it's like they build towns around churches that's all they do yeah 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 oh yeah <laughs> you betcha sure don't you know yeah. 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 <laughs> All right. So I guess let's continue on with the plot unless um, anyone else has any other more, any more points about the <laughs> accuracy of the culture and the language. It also can be pretty similar to like Wisconsin. This is more of a regional thing. It doesn't, it, the accent doesn't necessarily end at the border. You could say it's a little different, you know, as it as we permeate outside of Minnesota, but well the weird thing is there's no accent in Iowa. And a lot of like Tom Brokaw and a lot of TV news anchors come from Iowa or they I believe they call it like the Iowa accent in broadcasting schools to say you have to get as you know neutral as possible. Mm. And so I find it so weird that Wisconsin, Minnesota and for sure, North Dakota have this very thick accent, and then you can just drive a few hours south, and it just ends. Like, that's well, so weird to me. What's weird is Iowa kind of has a bit of a southern twang to it. Oh, my, my aunt's from, wonder. like, eastern, or uh, my aunt's from, like, far western Illinois, and right on, like, the Illinois-Iowa border, and she's got a twang, and my, my cousin has, a tw like, a twang <laughs> to it. It's the weirdest thing. Yeah, you wouldn't think it. You know, you think they're too far north. Maybe it's because it's farm country. I don't know. Even Chicago has that, you know, that Chicago accent. Chicago. And it's it's a little almost like it's like a blend of the Midwestern accent that we're talking about. Like you don't that, think about it as much because they're Chicago and they're 
you know, it's the third biggest city. And... But that's a Polish, you know, right. derivative. And then ours is like the Scandinavian. Dennis so it's, Farina. It's that's that's Dennis the Chicago, the Dennis Franz, both of them. <laughs> uh, but that's like the crazy part to me is they're like, these accents are like cousins. Like <laughs> I can kind of tell when someone's from Wisconsin and not from Minnesota and the, like the Chicago thing, it's close, but uh it's kind of like a fader. It's kind of like a fader going from Minnesota to yes. Chicago. Wisconsin's yes. kind of in the middle. Yes. You can usually tell by the smell. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of cows in Wisconsin. <laughs> All right, let's get back to the plot. Um, we discussed the true coat. Well, Carl and Gear stop at the Blue Ox in uh, Brainerd. That's right. To get some lady business. <laughs> Okay, here's an idea. We can stop outside of Brainerd. I know a place there we can get laid. What do you think? Um, and they, then they watch Johnny Carson afterward. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was funny the hooker stayed for that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Slow night, I guess. Uh, probably well, in Brainerd. Can I tell you something? They, they were probably funny. lot lizards. I, uh, I actually saw a working girl with a John yesterday when I was out to eat. In Minneapolis. <laughs> yeah, in Minneapolis. Were you watching Jose Feliciano? <laughs> no, but <laughs> it was it was interesting. I've seen it before, uh, but just last night, so when I was watching the movie today, I was like, you know, that's that really happens. That's like, So not, how did you not, how did you know? Couldn't he have just been uh, rich and have some trophy wife or girlfriend? Short skirt and heels and no no coat. So a very young gal. And yeah, like that's, 20... a, that's a Minnesota word. <laughs> it's true. Uh, uh, probably 23, 24. And she's sitting at the bar alone. And a middle-aged man who did look like he had money. And he sat down at, you know, away from her at the bar. And she moved okay. over. And over, sure. pretty soon she's got like his, her hand on his leg and you know their their body language was very close like they did not know each other and then they left together it's like watching planet oh. earth and you're like god this is just fascinating <laughs> no it was it was the fascinating. picture quality is outstanding I've... <laughs> but <laughs> when i was watching it today i was just like that's so crazy just last night i i saw this happen <laughs> and you know who knows more power to the both of them it's like it's like jimmy on south park you know he's Keeps keeps popping boners, so he's gonna take a girl to to dinner, and then uh, she lets him have sex with him. So, but he's doing it with hookers. <laughs> Where would you like to get to next? The kidnapping, or do you want to discuss some stuff before the kidnapping? I guess we got to go over the, uh, I guess the the meeting with Stan and Wade, right? Well, the parking lot. Yeah. yeah. So. I don't know. We kind of glossed over it. Jerry's got this parking lot deal and uh, he goes directly to Wade and Wade's like, why don't you go to Stan Grossman? This is the stuff you go to Stan Grossman for. Because <laughs> <laughs> like, he would have, you know, he would have said no and that's why you pay him. You know, but I, I think it's a good deal. So I went right to you. And then it turns out Stan Grossman thought it was a good deal. So they set up the meeting for later. So that's when Jerry goes to Shep uh, Proudfoot to try to call off the kidnapping. And uh, Shep's not very helpful. 
<laughs> no cell phones in 87. No cell phones. No, nobody had a bag phone <laughs> or a car phone. I, I vouch I vouch for Grimsburg. I don't vouch for the other guy. Yeah. Just people like Gorian Gecko. Yeah. Thought you might know a, an alternate number. Nope. <laughs> okay. And he just leaves. <laughs> Thanks. Uh so yeah, all right. Well, let's uh get to the clip here. This is the meeting about the the car lot. A couple of acres up in Wyzetta. These numbers are right. This looks pretty sweet. Oh, those numbers are right, all right. Believe me. This is doable. Congratulations, Jared. Yeah, thanks, Dan. Well, it's a pretty... What uh... kind of finder's fee are you looking for? Huh? The financials are pretty thorough, so... The only thing we don't know is your fee. My fee? Wait, what the heck are you talking about? Stan and I are okay. Yeah? We're good to load in. Yeah? But we never talked about your fee for bringing it to us. No, but wait, see, I was bringing you this deal for you to loan me the money to put in. It's my deal here, see? Jerry, we thought you were bringing us an investment. Yeah, right. You're saying... What are you saying? You're saying we put in all the money and you collect when it pays off. (laughs) (laughs) No, no, I'd, I'd, I'd pay you back the principal and interest. Heck, I'd... I'd go one over prime. We're not a bank, Jerry. If I wanted bank interest on $750,000, i would go to Midwest Federal, talk to old Bill Deal. He's at North Star. He's at... No, no. See, I... <laughs> I don't need a, a finder's fee. I need... Finder's fee's, what, 10%? Heck, that's not going to do it for me. I need the principal. Well, Jerry, we're not going to just give you $750,000. What the heck were you thinking? If I'm only getting bank interest, I want complete security. Heck, FDIC. I don't see nothing like that here. Yeah, but I... I... Okay, I... I guarantee you your money back. I'm not talking about your damn word, Jerry. Jeez, what the heck are you... We're not a bank, Jerry. Well, look, I don't want to cut you out of the loop, but this here's a good deal. I assume if you're not interested, you won't mind if we move on it. Independently. I think that cements it for me that he was always after the million because 10%, that's $75,000. And it's he's like, that's that's not even close. That's not enough. So $75,000 is enough for what he needs. Yeah. I didn't notice that until I just saw it uh, the other day because I realized $75,000 is way more than the 40000 <laughs> he was going to split yeah. for, you know, with the criminals so i guess it goes to he had to know that um that wade wasn't gonna go for it even though he he met with them he sat there and um you know grossman was looking over everything he had to have known it wasn't you know gonna work out right i guess but i mean let's let's say Maybe not. He's a moron, so I don't know. Well, I I think he felt that way before they got the meeting, and then he was blindsided in the meeting. True, he was very excited because he tried to call off the the kidnapping. Yeah, right? you're right. Yeah, but let's say Wade gave him the money here. Let's say he's going to give him seven hundred fifty thousand for the lot. So he's just out of trouble. What's what, what you know? What's he gonna do with all the serial numbers? The audit, 
I was kind of thinking the lot didn't actually cost seven hundred fifty thousand dollars. Yeah, yeah. I mean the 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 car or the oh the well because because Dan looks people... over the the financials and you would think that'd be pretty hard to fake the financials, especially for you know a bumbling idiot like Jerry. No, I think well, maybe... Jerry could do it because he he does that selling cars. I mean we sell yeah. with the true code. You're not selling me a car, Jerry. <laughs> But if it's done at the manufacturers, nothing we could do about it. <laughs> well, I'll, I'll talk to my boss. But but right before the meeting is where you find out that they they have three hundred twenty five thousand dollars in car financing that they can't connect to actual vehicles. That's right. That would be exactly half of the seven hundred. Sorry, that's not exactly half. It's a went to public school. Sorry, yeah. <laughs> it's like. 40 percent something like that and maybe maybe the the car to, or the the parking lot if the parking lot exists only costs like 400 or 500 thousand and then you know he pays I mean, off the financing almost three quarter you know three quarter million dollar lot is got to be huge lot it's I mean, 2.7 million dollars in 2024 money i did the math you would think though that Stan and Wade would know that hey, he's this deal he's proposing that's like 180%, 200%, you know, overvalued. If it's going to be 300,000 or 350,000, like, do you think they would know generally? That's how like much 400,000 is did too themselves. much. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if they're going based on his proposal alone, he could have mocked up numbers that looked legit, I think. <laughs> Once you muck up the works. Provided that they don't like like Clint said, as, as long as like Stan and Wade don't actually like go and look at the lot or look at like what lots are selling for out there and things like that, or, or probably... call the person actually selling the lot. Yeah, and who knows? Maybe the lot doesn't exist. I don't know. <laughs> but uh, obviously, if he has to pay him back at some point, it's, he, he needs some kind of income. And I, I I wrote it down. I thought it was weird that Jerry seems surprised by the audit. It's like I already got the money. It's you know <laughs> who gives a shit about the, about the the VIN numbers? Basically, I already the got the money. Done. Yeah. So, but he was. It's almost like he doesn't know there's going to be a fucking audit for this financing. Well, clearly, because they they end up the customer pays the uh, the finance company. The deal's and done. They I already don't got get their the money. money. The finance company doesn't get their money. They they got to go get the car, right? So they need to know which car to go get. I guess if you want to nitpick this movie, I guess that could be the one thing. Well, that's what took Denny Hecker down. Was he financed all that from uh, Daimler Chrysler? All those extra cars that he couldn't sell. Mm. He got caught around the same time like Madoff did, right? That's how long ago it was. Around that time, it was like 2011, I think. Okay, so that's like several years after Madoff, right? Enron wasn't that around like 08, 07? I think Enron was one of the first. Enron was like a one. Oh, okay. Madoff, yeah, I think him, him and uh, Denny were close together. I'd have to Google it though. Let me see. Oh. 
of course, uh, well, Jerry's meeting with Wade and Stan, his wife's getting kidnapped at home. <laughs> watching it. What was the morning show that she's watching? I'm trying to figure that out because it it looked local. I know. I remember that show growing up in the late 80s that that was on morning television. Which uh, the new season of Fargo parodied this fucking beautifully or homage. It's an homage and a parody that when they try to kidnap Juno Temple, she's at home knitting, but she's watching the Jason show. <laughs> and nailed it. <laughs> it all, like I told Brett earlier, it almost makes up for the show being filmed in Canada. Almost. Because that still really pisses me off to no end. <laughs> but the Jason show, he's got a, on Fargo, he's, he really turned up the accent. Like he doesn't really talk like that <laughs> in real life, but on the show, he has a very thick Minnesota accent. I just love that. <laughs> is he uh I've only seen like the first four or five episodes. Is he in it more? The Jason? That's guy? the only part he's in. Okay. Because there's so, only like a he only he's only on there for like, you know, four or five seconds, I guess. But but his show is syndicated all over the country, so People... Yeah, I heard it moved at least to Chicago, and then they were looking to maybe go to like L.A. or New York. For or something. sure, it's in Orlando too. Oh, really? Yeah. Um, well, I suppose, that makes sense. You got all the snowbirds down there, probably yeah. in Arizona too. And um, so I, I actually appreciate that. There's probably more people that get it that joke, even though it's a <laughs> kind of a regional Minnesota. There's probably people in Florida that get the joke in Chicago, um, but. Uh, they yeah, do that is have, a great homage. They do have a an app now called uh, Fox Local, where you can watch your local Fox affiliate anywhere. Mm. Oh. So, I mean, you can watch the Jason show. You just download Fox Local, find Fox 9 Twin Cities, and you can watch it anywhere. In the we world. should go into the audience one day. <laughs> Why not? <laughs> I, Let's I take a day, job. Brad. Let's take a day. Go downtown. I don't think they let men in the audience though <laughs> <laughs> i'm not sure where their demo <laughs> i think jason would like me i spruce myself up a little bit he'll let me in <laughs> i've never been on a tv show audience before just go see a movie at the uh the imagine and see how he treats people looking at their cell phone during the the trailers <laughs> and see if you want to sit next to him <laughs> it's a tattletale I guess we can get to the the first murders now. Oh yeah, I found the the, the TV show is called Good Company. Okay, and that was on a local affiliate. Who, was that maybe the NBC? Doesn't say who the hosts were or what channel it was. Just that it was an actual TV Minnesota talk show. Yeah, I do remember seeing it. She escapes initially. It was a pretty good ruse on her part, opening up the window but hiding in the shower. But she also takes a bite out of Gare's hand. Mm -hmm. Can we back up a little, though? Because, like, sure. her watching TV and then I think it was Carl at the back window peeking in. And <laughs> he's just staring at him as he's just, like, he doesn't even see her. <laughs> I don't know if it's the glare. <laughs> yeah, he not, didn't yeah. see her at all. <laughs> he wasn't even looking in the right direction. No. <laughs> After she... uh She's found out, discovered in the shower. She leaps out in the shower curtain, falls down the stairs, unconscious, as she uh, after she hits the ground, and then they take her. Um, then they later that evening, I guess while well, they're on their way to Moose Lake, but 
this is outside of Brainerd. So, because Moose Lake is more, is closer to the cities, right? Or at least the, the location of the actual cabin that it was shot at is just north of the cities. So, I forget it where Moose Lake is. Close to, it must be pretty close to White Bear Lake. Because when they ask uh, yeah, Mr. Mora, you know, they oh, I, when you say the lake, are you you think White Bear Lake? He's like, no, well, the bar is closer to Moose Lake. You know, people have heard Minnesota land of ten thousand lakes, but they don't. It is literally ten thousand lakes. It's actually literally eleven thousand, damn near twelve thousand. I think it's fifteen thousand. I thought. No, it's uh, because. I was a Minnesota United season ticket holder. I was one of the original 11,000. I forget the number now. It was like 800 and some or 500 and some. Uh, I call this the Itasca Society because like the first that uh, first 11,000 whatever members were part of the society. And you got like special perks and whatnot. But that's how many lakes there are. Now, there are a good chunk of them that are glorified ponds or sloughs. But it's like it's not a real lake, you know. But you cut those away, you still got eight to 10,000 solid lakes, I'd say. And some are, you know, massive. I, I just looked it up. It says Minnesota has 11,842 lakes, yep, 10 acres or more. There was a 1968 state survey that found 15,291 lake basins, of which uh, 3,257 were dry. Yeah. And then it says if all basins over two and a half acres were counted, it would be 21,871 leaks. So yeah. I guess there's a minimum size they're taking into account. Well, yeah. I know um, people in Wisconsin say that they have more lakes than Minnesota, but they count at like one acre. <laughs> so it's oh, like, yeah. oh, what a shock. They count their fucking ditches every spring. Yeah, exactly. I do remember uh, they used to say that we had more coastline than Florida because of all the lakes, too. We have more than uh, Florida, California, Hawaii combined. Combined, yeah. It's Dang. insane. But Michigan has more, like, legit lakes. But I digress. Yeah, I don't uh, I don't doubt it. Did you go to – did you see how many they have, technically? Or do you know how they count them? What well, size? Clint's on it, I think. Oh, Wisconsin? Let me see. No, with no Michigan. go see Michigan, because I, I know they have more lakes, but do they actually count it as 10 acres or, you know, whatever? I don't know. Uh, it says Michigan has 11,000 inland lakes, um, but this one doesn't say about size like the one Minnesota did. Okay. So even if they don't have more, it's comparable. Let's put it that way. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So, outside of Brainerd, yeah, because it says Moose, at least Moose Lake is like two hours north of here, so not too far away from Brainerd, I guess. But, uh, yes, uh, they run afoul of a state trooper. Apparently he's got the temper. he's got the dealer tags still on the vehicle. Didn't display the temporary tags. And, uh, obviously, uh, Gayer is pretty pissed off about it, but Steve Buscemi, he's going to take care of it. <laughs> <laughs> and preferably, you like to take care of it right here in Brainerd. Yeah. Well, Carl's a smooth talker. What can you say? <laughs> that show Walter is a showman. But the, yeah, the the accent on a cop was kind of weird. Put that in your back in your pocket to please, sir. <laughs> it kind of sounded <laughs> kind of weird. But anyways, uh, yeah, he's not going to take the bribe, the $50 <laughs> to take care of it right here in Brainerd. 
<laughs> so he asks him to step out of the car, please, sir. And uh, Gear grabs him, shoots him in the head, and that kicks off everything. <laughs> yeah, I think I think uh, Gene and uh, kind of twitched in the back seat, and the cop kind of looked in or something. Yeah, kind of looked in, and Gear grabbed him by the hair and just execution style right in front of Carl. And then just like the blood just poured out and into Carl's lap. <laughs> well, it's gross. But the first thing that cop does is he shines the, you know, gigantic flashlight in the car. What was he thinking? Like, you know, well, what's this sack of potatoes in the back seat of the car? <laughs> you know, because like that would be a dead. I wouldn't have even like it's a clearly a body in this like burlap sack. <laughs> like what? You know, how do we even get to the license and registration part of it? But that was a, you know, in classic Coen Brothers, you know, gory um, way to go for sure. Mm -hmm. Well, I think, too, like how many homicides do you think take place in Brainerd, Minnesota, you know, or or just outside of Brainerd where a state trooper is going to be on the lookout for something like that? Fair point. I thought it was kind of nice Carl let, you know, let her sit in the back seat like that instead of the trunk. Right. Uh, so there's a couple of onlookers drive by. So as Showalter is dragging the body off the road. So Gary goes <laughs> in pursuit. Dead in the eyes. Like <laughs> slow motion. <laughs> like one of the most innocent looking Minnesotans you could film. He's got yeah. the, the flapper hat. Big red parka looked like flannel here's my question about that was that's his like daughter in the car it seemed to be pretty young person yeah she was pretty young but i always took it as a a girlfriend or a wife okay because it's like 3 30 in the morning they say you know or yeah they were both pretty young but i you know yeah i thought he was pretty young too but i I just didn't yeah i didn't want to think that i was crazy of like why would that you know, have a kid in the car at three in the morning or whatever, but you guys are making a lot more sense. The Coen brothers aren't that big of monsters. They wouldn't execute (laughs) a child. But, you know, that goes to show you, though, just like what a psychopath Geyer is. Right. I mean, just ruthless, whatever it takes to uh, stay ahead of the game. Now, I do one small nitpick was, would he really have the patience to get his hair bleached? In real life, I mean, he's a complete nutcase, but, you know, he's got the tinfoil on his head. Like, I, I I guess I don't see that being very realistic. He was pretty attentive watching the soap opera. You're right. So he, he, could, he, could, he yeah, was stunned at that job. pregnancy reveal. <laughs> <laughs> and then is watching in a, in a freezing cabin, probably below they're, below 32 at least. They were heating it with the oven open. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was the only heat source. It was not doing a very good job. It's not a uh, not a good idea to heat your house with your oven. Although it looked like an electric oven, at least, so it wasn't like a a gas powered one. With all those heaters he was ripping throughout the movie, that could have been really bad. <laughs> well, I'll throw back to the beginning. Chef was the he only vouched for guy here he's like yep. whoever the yeah. other guy is i don't vouch for him i i, I don't know <laughs> i don't vouch <laughs> don't know him don't vouch for him but bishimi acts like he knows him when he's at his apartment banging that prostitute 
Well, also, oh, he yeah. called him in the Definitely. middle of the night from the Blue Ox. Yeah. Hey, I was banging her. <laughs> I was banging that broad. Yep. So uh, Grisby catches up with the couple, shoots them dead. Then we get to Marge, I believe. Finally, Marge makes an yeah. appearance. <laughs> we finally meet the main character. 32 minutes, 32 plus minutes in. The hero. The best actress winner for this film. But it uh, shows a very, I guess, quote-unquote, idyllic small-town home life. She's pregnant as a loving husband. But it seems like she's carrying most of the weight. He's there to support emotionally more than financially. He's an artist. He's uh, in a big competition to see who can get on the on one of the stamps, get a commission we- that way. Which I, I think that's a real thing because I see that on, I I swear every year on the news they have the the duck painting contest <laughs> to see who could get their duck painting picked for the stamp. It's like a long tradition. It's like the state hockey tournament, you know, the, the hockey hair that all the yeah. news channels. Uh, I, I want to say there's t- there's two brothers that have won it like every year for like the last twenty years. The hockey hair. No, the, the duck painting contest. Are they going to graduate high school soon? <laughs> like a Minnesota Von Eric family or something. But that, that duck uh, stamp contest is real. That's legit. Yeah. Kind of sad that uh, a cop and a starving artist could afford a home in the United States in 1987. Mm-hmm. American dream. Yeah. <laughs> Although Marge is, uh, you know, she's... Well, it's kind of the head honcho It was there, probably you know? about twenty grand. <laughs> yeah, true. It was not a large house. Yeah, and no. they she didn't... was she was uh, what's what was her rank sergeant? She was pretty high up there. Yeah, and she was just they were just starting up a family. So, well, as she should. I mean, it's clear in the movie she's very sharp, despite you know a crazy accent that would make you sound stupid. Right. I mean, she knew right away when she got to the crime scene. Like, oh, you know, cop, cop gets killed. Two people drive by, you know, right at the wrong, wrong minute. High speed chase ensues and ends. You know, she knew exactly what happened right when she got there. And meanwhile, you know, the other cop didn't have a clue. He was a moron yeah. too. Nailed it. Saw the two different sizes of footprints. Thought it was yeah. a big right. guy and a short guy. Right. It's a, it's a big fella, and I don't think Called he's from Brainerd. The DLR plates <laughs> called it in. He's waiting to hear it back. We didn't get any matches yet. <laughs> I don't think I 100% agree with your police work there, Lou. Oh, no. Say, <laughs> hey, do you think uh, DLR might be uh, abbreviation for dealer? Like dealer plates. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I think Marge, or I should say, I think Francis McDormand. Her accent is exaggerated, but I think she nails the Minnesota nice aspect of her character. Yes. Well, and a subtle passive aggressiveness, especially how she talks to shop at the, at the shop, you know, yeah, you're right. not dangerous. You don't want to get involved in this, you know, like she, she's giving him any opportunity to kind of confess to something. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, she saw his rap sheet. She knows he's a criminal, but he doesn't want to be in a, accessory to the murders right so they'll send you right back I mean, to stillwater i know you yeah, want to be which is an actual prison in, they nailed yeah, it again. yeah yeah i so, think that's the only max prison in minnesota i i think so 
And so, you know, whatever the accent, the exaggeration of it, she does an amazing job of playing a very subtle intelligence that right. nobody else in the film really has mm-hmm. at all. I mean, this this movie is chock full of dumb people. And the, the Minnesota nice is on full display, even in the little throwaway scenes with, I think it's when uh, Jerry was out at Embers or whatever, and he's paying the bill. And there's that really cheery uh, yeah. uh, person at the register, that girl with the blondie. How was your, how was everything tonight? Just smiling up a storm. Like and then green. like, they just kind of show her like, sh- you know, shrugging her head or whatever. I don't know how oh, to yeah. describe it, but just like overly happy. And you're like, what's your deal? What are you on? You if you were in any other state in the country, <laughs> they'd be like, are you fucking high? Well, it's funny too because Jerry's all pissed off because of the the meeting right away, and she she's you know cheery and he goes, "Oh yeah, oh how you doing by the way? Yeah, real good. <laughs> how you do? How you doing then? Yeah, cashier small talk is not a thing that exists in other parts of the country. <laughs> I I remember I was in California once and I tried chit chatting with a cashier at the grocery store and she probably thought I was like completely insane. She did not like <laughs> what. She, like, Colorado's I could just tell, the same. I don't tell, even like, try. What the fuck is this guy asking me about my day for? <laughs> well, it should be. I don't think, like, I don't know. I, I don't want to sound, like, pessimistic, but it is kind of weird just to chat up strangers in line at, yeah. you know, at the cash register or something. That is kind of odd. Yeah. Where do we get to now? She's investigating. She's <laughs> she's by and large, the, the finest investigator that Brainerd has to offer. I did like the uh, the joke about the personalized license plates. <laughs> no, I didn't. I've never gotten that. Can someone explain that to me? Like the guy couldn't afford it, so he changed his name to match the plate that he had. But yeah, it's that... just a plate. It's not like the 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 yeah, seat, the sequential. Yeah, the guy changed like... his name to what is like JL three R O seven or something. Yeah, he he couldn't get his own personalized plates because it's too much. So. Whatever regular plate he got, he changed his name to match the plate so it would be personalized. Yeah. Apparently, it was so, cheaper to change your name than it was get a personalized plate. So the plate. JL, it's not supposed to spell out something. That's what I was no, always trying to figure no. out. Like, JL, like what? Because <laughs> I was like, I, I did think to myself, like, DLR plates would be cool because I'm a big Van Halen fan. So David Lee Roth <laughs> plates would be sweet. Uh <laughs> But she doesn't even like tell the joke. She's like, "You hear the joke about the guy?" Because well, he, he knew it. Yeah. Okay. And I was like, "Oh yeah, that's a good one." <laughs> <laughs> Not even laughing, just politely saying, "Yep, that is that is a good joke." Yes. <laughs> you are correct. Yes, sir. I remember that one. <laughs> I feel so, like I said that uh, a few times in my life. Oh yeah, that's a good one. <laughs> So I think we get to the scene where she gets back to the office and Norm's already there waiting for her with, with Arby's <laughs> and they're discussing certain things like uh, his mallard and things like that. I don't know if that's a double entendre. I just thought about that now, but anywho, I don't um, think so. <laughs> well, she brings him the night crawlers too. Cause he's about to go ice fishing yeah. after lunch <laughs> up at Malax. Yeah. Yeah. Cause that's uh wait, because he says that to Olson at the buffet, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I think that's the next day. Yeah, after lunch. Gee, yeah, you got Arby's all over my face. Yeah. What's the? <laughs> sorry, I forget the dumb officer's name. 
uh, Lou. Lou. Lou comes in, you know, says, uh, word is, uh, you know, they stayed at the Blue Ox Motel. Word is they had company. Oh, yeah? Yeah. So this is our next clip. This is Marge interviewing the two prostitutes. Yeah, we both did. She went to college, too. I went to Normandale for about a year and a half. Yeah, that's where we met. But I dropped out, though. Yeah, she dropped. Yeah. So where are you girls from? Chaska. Lesueur. But I went to high school in White Bear Lake. Go Bears. Okay. I want you to tell me what these fellas looked like. Well, the little guy, he was kind of funny looking. In what way? I don't know, just funny looking. Can you be any more specific? I couldn't really say. He wasn't circumcised. Was he funny looking apart from that? Yeah. So, you were having sex with a little fella then? Uh-huh. Is there anything else you can tell me about him? No. Like I say, he was funny looking. More than most people, even. What about the other fella? He was a little older. You know, he looked like the Marlboro Man. Oh, yeah? Yeah. But maybe I'm saying that, you know, because he smoked a lot of Marlboros. Uh-huh. You know, like a subconscious type of thing. Oh, yeah, that can happen. Yeah. Hey, they said they were going to the Twin Cities. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Yeah, is that useful to you? Oh, you betcha, yeah. Yeah. This scene is like right at the end of all of the oh yeahs and yeahs exchanged between her and Lou. And there's like a 15, 20 minute stretch of this film where it gets to be almost too much where you're just like, oh God, quit fucking saying it. But it's still just so funny. And then right after this scene is when they kind of poke the balloon and let a little air out. They still say it a lot throughout the rest of the film, but it was, they were really going hard at it, especially with like the tail end of the scene before was, oh yeah, they accompany, oh yeah, yeah. And after all the oh yeahs and yahs exchanged in the car, it's like, jeez, is there anything else that they say? But what else, what else do you need to say? Yeah, exactly. no. <laughs> <laughs> uh. We we did kind of skip over Carl and Gare getting to the safe house with uh, Jean <laughs> and letting her run wild oh with God. the bag on her head and her hands tied <laughs> behind her back. Whoops! It was like a chicken with her head cut off. <laughs> Grimsrud was not entertained. <laughs> no. Nothing makes him laugh, I don't think. He's not a people person. He's a bit comparable to Chigurh in No Country for Old Men. They're both on the spectrum. <laughs> they're they're both the the epitome of evil, I guess, in their respective films. But I mean, I guess I like Shigur's character more. But Shigur is actually a lot more uh, talkative, right? What's the most you've ever lost on a coin toss? Yeah, that whole exchange. I love that. That's another. That's not a Minnesota thing. That's just a kind of a small town exchange. I'm sorry <laughs> with the coin toss. Why are you sorry? Don't put it in your pocket. That's your lucky quarter. <laughs> this is a good comparison, though, I think. Yeah. It's interesting. But that, that scene was pretty hilarious. So her just like running around, stopping for a little bit and then changing <laughs> direction. <laughs> she ends up uh, in the back of the house at some point and well, they finally good, get her inside. It's a good hideaway to be on a lake because, I mean, there are people that live at the lake year round. But it's not as common as you'd think. There's a good chance there wasn't another neighbor for 10 lots, maybe. Yeah. 
I mean, it costs a lot of money to run everything in the winter. I mean, they probably keep the the heat at like 50 degrees in the house or something. But also just plowing all the snow around those gravel roads that circle the lake is a big pain in the ass and takes forever to do. So if you're living there, you might be snowed in for a week. If there's a big storm, you're not going anywhere unless you well, got a snowmobile. Which their house but... didn't seem to have heat at all. So right. one would assume that neighboring houses wouldn't have heat either and would therefore be empty. Well, everyone has their own propane tanks. This is true, but it's more of a like a, a summer uh, locale. That yeah, some of them are just fitted for summer. That could have been a house with a without indoor plumbing. It would got to worry about the pipes freezing. But anyways, next up is uh, Mike. Uh, Mike Yanagita. Mike <laughs> <laughs> How the heck are you? He calls her at, it's like, what, quarter to 11 or something. It's quarter to 11. Saw you on the news <laughs> up there in Brainerd with the burgers. Well, yeah. <laughs> this is one of many scenes where it's like, they just throw these scenes in there that are just like, kind of like, oh, okay, so what are they doing in the meantime while other stuff is going on? Mm-hmm. Where if you cut them out, like you still have a coherent story and movie. But like they add just some really nice charm, Minnesota charm to the, the, the thing. Right. That's why I love their films because they do have these like non sequitur characters and scenes that add to it subtly. Um, yeah. You could take this part out of the film for sure. And you're not, you know, losing anything with the plot or it, nothing you know, becomes becomes a bit later, but that's a lot of their films, and I appreciate it. I get a kick out of it. Mm-hmm. And this is probably where a lot of people don't get their movies either. You know, where this stuff just flies over some people's heads, and they probably can't get into any of the Coen Brothers films. I thought this uh this storyline paid off though in the end because it's really like three or four little scenes that they threw in with this guy. So it's that yeah. initial phone call. Then they. Well, I like the meeting. You know. And then they're trying to figure out where to eat then at the Radisson. The meat. Yeah. <laughs> Are the prices reasonable? She asked. Again, cheap Scandinavian. You know. <laughs> mm-hmm. I like that idea. Back when, you know, hotels were not just known for lodging; they were known for oh, they have a great restaurant or a cool bar that you need to check out in the downtown area. Because <laughs> they don't recommend a restaurant in the downtown area. They don't. They don't tell her to go to the Ocean Air or Manny Steakhouse, which would be expensive. But they didn't recommend a restaurant. They recommended a hotel. You know, back when hotels catered more to things like that, more hotels had bars, more hotels had restaurants. And it was like, oh, the Radisson. That's known for good food. Like, When is the Radisson ever known for good food? Oh, apparently 30, 40 years ago. (laughs) I've never been a big hotel bar guy. And it always kind of perplexes me when I'm at hotels and the bars popping on a Friday or Saturday night. It's never really, I've never really gotten that. I don't know. Just me personally. Yeah. I mean, it's not ideal, but some of them can be fun. It's not something that is all that widespread anymore. I can't think of a lot of new like hotels, like chain hotels that have bars in them. When they have new. terrible margins. That's a part of the problem. Probably. Yeah. But there's a couple, I, I, you know, what I'll see now is they'll have like, you know, in the lobby, a cooler with beer and 
wine and stuff and you can kind of it has limited hours and it's mm -hmm. not really a huge bar but it's something that you could take back to your room or something like that but i've never been into that i suppose so. those downtown hotels are always bigger you know and they're more prestigious when they're downtown minneapolis yeah you know you get all the like the higher salaried workers that are working down there so it's a i guess a higher end clientele base so i guess these businesses would have more restaurants just like you know there's a four seasons minneapolis and it's very prestigious but it's like i've never stayed there i don't, I don't even know anyone who stayed there but I bet you it has a nice restaurant in it. Oh yeah, the the head chef there is like a James Beard Award winner, <laughs> so it's like a real yeah, I don't doubt it. No. real high level restaurant there for sure. And I haven't been there; I just know that. I and I'm, I'm sure feel weird I'm... going to a hotel restaurant if you're not staring staying at the hotel. Yeah, I'm sure. Like like I said, I'm sure it's more common in downtown areas where their margins are better. I've been at a place with like the Four Seasons; their margins aren't as Aren't as good. They probably price out a lot of people. So unless they have a big amount of people staying at the hotel currently, it probably isn't doing a whole lot of business. But everything's priced very high. Yeah. Well, I bet you a place like that is really popular for you know an anniversary weekend or affluent people that live in the Twin Cities or just outside of it will right. go there for a weekend. But those people are smarter than me, so I, that business doesn't make a lot of sense to me. But obviously obviously it works yeah but i wouldn't go to a, a hotel bar at a radisson let's just put it that way <laughs> a restaurant yeah I'm it's reasonable though that. they said it was reasonable <laughs> that's my next big note kind of I, I think the biggest talking point for the rest of the film this is a big point of contention so i've heard amongst fargo fans throughout the years people have heavily debated this scene is it pointless? Is it unnecessary? Or is there a deeper meaning to this scene? It is just Mike Yamagita <laughs> at dinner, or sorry, at lunch with Marge hitting on her, pretty obviously. And uh, he's just a wreck, an emotional wreck the whole movie. We have a, we have a clip here, but I guess we'll, we'll get into it after the clip. How about that? Marge? Jeez! Oh, you look great. Yes, so do you. Oh, easy there, easy there, easy there, easy there. You do too. I'm expecting. Oh, you. I see that. That that's great. Oh, what can I get you? Oh, just a diet coke, please. Great. Okay. <laughs> this is a nice place. Yeah, you know it's a Radisson, so it's pretty good. <sighs> yeah. So. You're living in a diner then? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. A couple of years now. Uh, it's actually Eden Prairie, that, that school district. So, oh, Chief Gunderson then. Oh, so, you went and married Narm, son of a Gunderson. Oh, yeah, a long time ago. Great, great. So, uh, what brings you down? Uh, are you down here on that homicide if you're allowed to, you know, to discuss that? Oh, yeah, yeah, but there's not a heck of a lot to discuss. <laughs> okay. Well, what about you, Mike? Are you married? You got kids? Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, I was married. Uh, I was married to... You mind if I sit over here? Uh, I was married to Linda Cooksey. No, why don't you sit over there? I prefer that. Huh? Oh. Uh, okay. Sorry. 
Oh, uh, no, no, just so I can see. I don't have to turn my neck. Oh, sure, sure. I, I understand. <laughs> yeah. I, I didn't mean to. Uh... No, no. That's fine. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. Uh, sorry. Um, so, uh, I was married to Linda Cooksey. You, you remember Linda. She was a year behind us. Yeah, I think I remember. Yeah. yeah. She. Oh yeah. yeah. So it didn't work out. Huh? Oh, and then I and then I've been working for Honeywell for a few years now. Oh well, they're a good outfit. Yeah. If you're an engineer, yeah, you could do a lot worse. Uh, but it's uh, not. Uh, it's nothing like your your achievement. Oh, well, it sounds like you're doing really super. It's not that. Uh, it's not that things didn't work out. It's. Uh, Linda uh, had leukemia, you know. Uh, she was, uh, she, she passed away. No. Uh, it was tough. Uh, there you go. It was long. Uh, she fought real hard, Marge. You know, uh, that's, what, what can you say? Oh, better times, huh? Better times. Oh, and then I saw you on the TV, and uh, I remembered, you know, I always liked you. Well, I always liked you. I always liked you so much. So, Mike, uh, should we get together another time, you think? No, I... I... I'm sorry. It's, uh, you know, I shouldn't have done this. I shouldn't have done this. I shouldn't. I thought we'd have a really terrific time. It's okay, Mike. You were such a super lady. And then... I've been so lonely. It's okay, Mike. Brutal. So I've seen several different articles online. There are, like, college-level dissertations on this scene. And its relevance to the film... What have you? Uh, I think there's a Vox article from 2016, uh, the 30th anniversary, basically saying this scene is useless, pointless, unnecessary, what have you. Other people argue against that. There's a Screen Rant article singing its praises, talking about how this scene affects Marge in a way that she, because I, she interviews Jerry Lundegaard before this, the first interview. When she asks him about yes, yeah. if there's any cars stolen, he says no. Okay, I'll let you get back to your paperwork then. Then she uh, has a meeting with Mike, and then her next appearance on screen is 15 or so minutes later, and she's talking on the phone with I don't know who, but she tells him that Mike Yanagida was a never married to Linda Cooksey, and b Linda's still alive. She never died from leukemia. He's basically like a stalker, mental patient type. He's got mental health issues, not doing well. I think he still lives with his parents. So everything that he tells Linda is a lie. He doesn't work for Honeywell, that great outfit. He <laughs> could do a lot worse if you're an that, engineer. That's such a that's uh, that's another really Minnesota thing to say. Oh, they're a good outfit. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so. Like the Screen Rant article and some of these other people will say that once she finds out that Mike is lying about everything, it makes her question everything from then on. Basically, Jerry, the next time 
The second time she goes in to see Jerry Lundegaard is the fateful, oh, he's fleeing the interview. But she is harder on him that time. She's still Minnesota nice about it. Are you sure? Because see, I was wondering, how do you know? You know, are the louts are are the, the cars counted daily or how does it all work? You know, she's still being super, you know, Minnesota nice about it, but she's still pretty forceful. And when he pushes back, so does she to the point where, you know, she's like, you don't have to get snippy with me. Uh, can I speak to Mr. Gustafson, please? I'm not saying I agree with that assessment. You know, it's basically saying that, okay, so since she has come to this revelation about Mike, that she questions everything. She doesn't believe everything that everyone's telling her. Well, if that's the case, why is she so surprised that he takes off? He's he's fleeing the interview. Like, oh my God. Like she, she couldn't fathom it. He's, oh my God, he's fleeing the interview. Yeah. Like she's beside herself. I think she wanted to double check because I think there is a point to the 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 mic. But, but she yeah, trusts him like sense. to go just do a lot count. You know, if she, th- if she really thinks he's lying to her, why is she so accepting of what he's about to do? Oh, he's going to go do the lot count. Everything will be fine. I can get up I, and go. I think because she's pregnant, you know, like I wasn't, you know, because it's my first What's time What's that, through. Clint? Are you <laughs> saying that her... Her being a woman hinders no, her ability as a she, detective. Just sitting down, she's like, "Can I sit down? I, this is a load." Carrying you know, quite a load like, here. Carrying quite a load. <laughs> you know, because uh, you know, I got two kids. You know, I, I know how it was for my. Yeah, my but did you have the two kids, Clint? I did all the work to make <laughs> them, but. <laughs> uh. No, you know, it's winter, you know, who who knows how cold it was that day. Like he got all bundled up and we saw in that one scene with the cop talking to the informant where he did the Kenny from South Park coat, you know. Right. But uh Oh god. You know, I don't blame Marge for not going out, you know, who knows how long <laughs> that would have taken and just being on the feet the whole time, but uh I think she just wanted to double check, you know, because like finding out Mike was a liar, you know, you never know, uh, you know, regardless how Minnesota nice somebody is, you know. And I thought Jerry was kind of uh, doing a bad job containing his temper throughout the movie. <laughs> like it, it just escalated and that just blew off the top in that scene yeah. right there. Yeah. Yeah. Like I said earlier, as, as more stuff goes wrong for Jerry, like the worse he is at keeping his cool. Mm hmm. Yeah, because they were it? trying to negotiate the ransom down to like half a mil. No, no, we can't do that. It's got to be the. <laughs> no, it's got to be me that does it by myself. Well, this then, is my then... deal here, Wade. <laughs> <laughs> well, then there's a scene where Carl calls him to say that they killed three people. They need more money. <laughs> <laughs> no, now we had a deal. This is a, a, just a nice a little deal. kidnapping. <laughs> this is a no rough stuff kind of deal here. <laughs> What do you mean we got three bodies in Brainerd? I'm not going to debate you, Jerry. I love it when uh, it seems like Carl Showalter is from outside of the Midwest. <laughs> Just, yeah. You know, I love it when uh, Jerry's like, heck, you mean? And immediately, <laughs> Buscemi goes, heck, you mean? Just mocking his voice and, <laughs> the, you know, the words he chose. It's so funny. Well, he definitely <laughs> has an East Coast attitude at the that first scene in the film. You know, he definitely thinks he's hot shit and smarter than everyone, but he's just a dumb criminal. 
too. <laughs> and I also think as good of an actor as he is, he's so thoroughly a New Yorker. It, it's yeah. it's got to be like hard for him just not to to be, you know, a right. fast talking wise ass from the East Coast. So, I mean, I don't think there's even an attempt there for it to be like he's he's a Minnesotan too, or an Upper Midwesterner at least. But I think her going back to the lot, you know, she's kind of she's got to let Jerry incriminate himself too, right? Up until that point, there's plausible deniability of what's mm-hmm. going on here and. Does he have anything to do with it? Well, the second he's in the car driving away, that's all she needs to kind of tie a lot of this together, right? Right. Yeah, because well, it, it was obvious because they had the phone call to the dealer and then she interviewed Shep, who was a former felon and on parole or whatever. Yeah, she knew that they called the dealership. Mm-hmm. So I forget at what point she found that out. Because she went there originally because Shep got the call at 3 a.m. Mm-hmm. from the Blue Ox. So it'd be quite a coincidence if they weren't, you know, connected. And then she just well, talked I'm to sure Jerry. Even uh, though it's 1987, it... you just put a phone number into a central database at a police station and they go, oh, that's that's a, you know, a car lot. But I, I think she initially only interviewed Jerry because they were looking for an Oldsmobile with dealer plates. Yeah, and she thought it would be a connection, deal. possibly. Yeah. So, mm. so they called your mechanic. There's a, a Oldsmobile with dealer plates. You sell Oldsmobiles. Are you missing one? Mm-hmm. And then later, I think she finds out that there was a call to the dealership. And yeah, uh, it's Gustafson Motors. Yeah. Yeah, and then at uh, at that point is when she goes back and she's like, "Well, you know, they called here, and uh, you know, you're just." How do you know you're not missing one? You know, did you do a lot check recently? I was kind of surprised Jerry wasn't prepared for that question. Like, why wouldn't he just say it's stolen or on loan or you know something? He's not that bright. <laughs> At the end of the day, <laughs> obviously, he's, but he's still. not that smart. Because even with the uh... well, in his mind, all the count, all the cars are accounted for. Yeah, you know, with the. Even with the shitty VIN numbers, you know, the deal's already done. I already got the money. <laughs> but I don't know how, how many uh, cars he, he, he screwed the GMIC out of. Because uh, it looks like he was practicing. 325000 Well, yeah, but like, I don't know how many of those were actual like sales versus like he was just making up the numbers. Because he had just had like a notepad where he pra- was practicing writing them illegibly. Yeah. Oh, they exist, all right. Yeah, I'll fax that right over there. No, no, see, that's the problem. Yeah, yeah, fax <laughs> it over here, and I can't read the numbers. Oh, I meant I'd send it over there. You know, I'll shoot it right over to you. Real good. It's in the oh, mail. It's, it's in the mail. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. The the Mike, Yanagita dinner scene never really bothered me because I always thought it was hilarious, and <laughs> it is a very good display of minnesota nice because of how uncomfortable she is but she still kind of sticks out the lunch it's like a great example of a minnesota conversation (laughs) well then the payoff to find out linda was still alive after the fact was (laughs) great for me i think it's, it's kind of a mix i think it i think the scene serves a purpose of showing you more of marge's character 
not so much that she's going to not trust Jerry or it doesn't like spark something in her head that I bet you that Jerry Lundegaard, he is lying. I think it's more like, I'm just going to question more things as I go along, but I'm going to, you know, she continues to use her Minnesota nice. That never leaves. Even at the end when she has uh gear in the, in the back seat talking about, you know, this is all about talking about all the people have died over just a little bit of money, you know, and how that's morally wrong. That is. And, you know, what have you, she's just kind of reading them the riot act. And it's almost like she has the voice of just a disapproving mother, you know? Yep. But yeah. So, I mean, I don't think the scene is useless. I think there is a purpose, but I don't think it's as grand as some people say. Well, I think too, you know, it's one of those things where somebody from outstate is coming to the twin cities. You got to get together with somebody from your past. It, it just, that's what happens when you come to the cities. Like somebody finds out, oh, Marge is coming to the cities. Let me uh, call her up and see if we can meet for lunch. Well, I don't think it's crazy that uh, she was on TV and then some guy from her high school immediately called her and said, I saw you on TV. Like that, that is, that seems very like plausible to me Especially as, as a Minnesotan. And Mike knows that she's coming to the cities because that's where this is all leading. So. Yeah. He at least was smart enough, besides being kind of nuts, that uh, he was smart enough to know that she would be around. So you married Norm, son of a Gunderson, then, huh? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, should we get to our next clip, which is the discussion or the, yeah, the the interaction between Officer Olson and Mr. Mora? Let's do it. Yeah. Well, you want to skip to that? Because uh, before that is when Wade gets killed. They do the drop. Oh, okay. The, the money exchange. Yeah. You're right. Let's talk about that first. Because, yes, as we stated earlier, they kind of steamroll Jerry, and it's it's Wade's show with Stan is on his side. And so uh, Wade goes with the money. Buscemi, Carl Showalter, is pretty pissed off about it, whereas Jerry uh, said it was going to be Jerry. Put the fucking case down. And he goes, Where? Wade's asking, where's his daughter? Yeah. So he ends up shooting him. But Wade has a gun of his own, shoots Showalter in the face. Showalter returns fire again, killing Wade. Again and again and again and <laughs> again and again. So he kills him, take, takes the money, kills the uh, the parking garage attendant. The dude wouldn't lift the gate for him. He's got a gaping wound in his face. <laughs> and he's like, that'll be $4. <laughs> well, that guy doesn't ask. They don't even have Well, that. they cut away. They cut away before. Yeah. It all happens off screen. Yeah. You would assume you'd ask for the $4 or something. Because he pulls What's... up and he goes, open the fucking gate. And then they cut away. Open the fucking him. gate. <laughs> <laughs> well, what's uh, interesting, though, um, I didn't, like, up to that point, you don't think, like, Carl has it in him. And then he, he really does murder the guy right and you know opens up on him so that's the first time seeing the movie over the years i get no impression throughout the whole film that carl's capable of that he's just kind of a a dummy but i don't didn't think he had that killer instinct in him which adds to the kind of the shocking element of actually you know killing um wade so i don't know i I really like he he's driven to it after all the shit that he has had to deal with of Good hanging point. out with Gare for three to four days, dealing with Jerry's bullshit. He's fed up with the yeah. Minnesota nice. <laughs> and 
and this goes to the the point where he's not from Minnesota, so you know he's done with all like he's he's done with the Minnesota nice bullshit, and he's just over it. He's just like, I'm done. This is it. You know, you guys can't follow directions. It's a, it's a simple plan we had. Y'all fucked it up. Another Minnesota I, I'm just film. Done with it. Simple plan. <laughs> yeah. Of course, as we said, uh, you know, Jerry kind of gets pushed out of doing the deal. So he follows behind. He's a little bit late, but he comes upon the scene, the crime scene, if you will. And I always forget this, but Jerry puts Wade's body in his trunk because there's that shot of him opening the trunk. He drives up to the top of the ramp. He sees Wade there dead. He's like, oh, geez. And there's a shot of him opening his trunk. You know, what else is he going to do other than put the body in there? Which is why, because like he's working at a dealership at least a day or two later. Nobody's none the wiser about, nobody's found Wade's body. You know, he's yeah. working at the dealership. Right. Nobody's saying, you know, March is like, can I speak to Mr. Gustafson? Nobody's saying he's dead or missing or anything like that. So when he flees the interview, he probably has the body in his trunk still. He might. I don't know where he put it. Well, I was going to say they have to do a shot of him opening the trunk because there is absolutely no way five foot five, 140 pound William H. Macy could lift that. <laughs> no, like grown man <laughs> and, and put him in a the trunk. There's it. That, there's That's no way you point. could deadlift 200 pounds. <laughs> well, when he got home after that, you know, Scott's like, are you okay, dad? Or something like that. And, are you hungry? I forget what the actual conversation you know, I'm going, is. I'm going to bed now. He's yeah, like, Stan just, called. Stan Grossman called twice. Well, this is where yeah. Scotty's Jerry's kid again. He's just a dumbass. Like, I know they say, oh, mom went away for a couple of days, but I don't know. When I was a teenager, I, at a certain point, I probably would have started asking questions. No, well, he well, did. Because well, he said, I, I thought these Scott guys aren't going to hurt her, are they? Yeah. He yeah, knows he, she's he, kidnapped. He knew she was kidnapped. I think he said, I think we should call the cops, Dad. He yeah. said, oh, no, no. It's better to leave them out of this. You know, they just it, want money. Yeah, they don't it, want to hurt. They aren't going to want to hurt or none. They just want money, is what he tells uh, them. He's, he says, if uh, I forget what the two is like, if, if one of her two friends calls, tell her, uh, tell them that she's in Florida with whatever relatives she's out in Florida with. Yeah. I just thought Scott knew that jerry went to go get her and do the exchange and then he came home without her like that's that's what i was confused about like didn't he know he was going to go pick up uh gene you know and then there's no gene still and he's just going to go to bed and that's it you know uh, i don't know was he there for that part well he was Did there we... when jerry left but i don't know if he was aware of any of the conversation on the phone call i don't know either at risk of derailing the conversation, can we please talk about that fucking weird poster he had on his wall with the yodelers and shit? <laughs> Accordion King. <laughs> what was that? That He I, seemed like a pretty you, hip kid. He had an yeah. accordion on his bench, uh, or on his bed. I thought it was another instrument he had also there, didn't he? Oh, there's a picture of Scotty on top of the TV of him holding an accordion. Okay. <laughs> it's, it's so yeah. funny if you like, really okay. noticed it. Yeah, but then he's a, got a white snake again. poster on the wall. He does, okay, yeah. white snake so and like yodelers and shit. It's all over the place. But he is uh <laughs> he does have an accordion on the bed. Okay. Oh man. <laughs> <laughs> Which you know, polka is very popular in Minnesota. 
That's a German thing, though. I that, yeah, a rare miss by the Cohen brothers that a the Swedish kid would be into polka. No way. <laughs> the Bavarian music. Is, well, what neighborhood do they live in? I forget. I forget. They were somewhere in Minneapolis, but they didn't say what neighborhood. I, hey, that was another thing I was good. That is a nice house. I mean, there's no yeah. question. For 1987, that is as nice a house as you're gonna. You could see tell that was like a mid 90s McMansion type house, a Dyna or something like that. Maybe why is that a? Another thing I noticed that like those doors were not being put in houses in 1987. No, but um, when the car's pulling in in one of the scenes of that house, there's actually a realtor sign that oh, that's yeah? in the yard. So it makes me wonder that. I bet it was a house that had just gone unsold for quite a while and had been on the market. But then, you know, those signs get frozen in the ground. Yeah. You can't just rip them out. So I'm wondering if that was just an empty house that was cheap to shoot in. That was big and nice that they could, you know, fuck up the, the well, I can uh, bathroom. Guarantee you and it wasn't guaranteed. Late, Chris Lindahl. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I, <laughs> That was, and, yeah, MDB that says it was in Eden Prairie. Yeah, so, that doesn't okay. surprise me. That was Eden Prairie. But in yeah. uh, in Mike's neck of the woods. Yeah, I live in the Eden. Well, Eden Prairie, actually. Close. Nice. Yeah, all you guys are cake eaters. Grew up in Woodbury. <laughs> Some of you living in Eden Prairie now. No, Mike Yamanagita, I meant. Oh yeah. <laughs> that Mike, not our Mike. <laughs> Mike Yanagita. Well, Eden Prairie, that school district. That's a hop, skip, and a jump to the Honeywell up in Golden Valley. <laughs> I was thinking like an engineer with Honeywell. Wait, what? That's, that's a good outfit. <laughs> so, all right, let's get to the conversation with Mr. Mora. Mr. Mora? Yeah. Officer Olson. Yeah, righto. Well, saw him tending bar down there at Eklund and Swedens last Tuesday, and this little guy's drinking, and he says, so where can a guy find some action? I'm going crazy out there at the lake. And I says, what kind of action? And he says, woman action. What do I look like? And I says, well, what do I look like? I don't arrange that kind of thing. And he says, but I'm going crazy out there at the lake. And I says, yeah, but this ain't that kind of place. Uh-huh. He says, oh, so I get it. So you think I'm some kind of jerk for asking, only you don't use the word jerk. I understand. Then he calls me a jerk, says last guy thought he's a jerk. is dead now. So I don't say nothing. He says, what do you think about that? And I says, well, that don't sound like too good a deal for him then. <laughs> you got that right. Yeah, he says, yeah, that guy's dead, and I don't mean of old age. And then he says, geez, I'm going crazy out there at the lake. White Bear Lake? Yeah, well, at Eklund and Swedland, that's closer to Moose Lake, so I made that assumption. Oh, sure. Anyway, he's drinking at the bar, so I don't think a whole great deal of it. But then Mrs. Mora, she heard about the homicides down here and thought I should call it in, so... I called it in. End of story. Well, what this guy look like, anyways? Oh, he's a little guy, kind of funny looking. Uh-huh. In what way? Oh, just in a general kind of way. Okay. Well, thanks a bunch, Mr. Mora. You're right. It's probably nothing. But thanks for calling her in. Sure. Looks like she's going to turn cold tomorrow. Oh, yeah. Got a front coming in. Yeah, you got that right. <laughs> sweeping the snow away sweeping 
That doesn't that's, work, by the way. That's like a specific, like a spring thing. You could get away with it in the spring when it's not going to freeze over again. But yeah, nobody. Yeah, I mean, not winter, a lot of people sweep. Work. Yeah, nobody's sweeping. Well, it was all slush too. Yeah, like it wasn't like a a fine powdery snow had just fallen. <laughs> that is a perfect scene. I love it, and I'm so glad it was already brought up. But that is the ultimate Kenny from South Park. <laughs> The parka and that it's like so over the top, perfect. This was before South Park, too. It's way before, I mean, but like that's how you would explain, like, describe it, right? I mean, it's so like hilarious. Oh, yeah, when he turns his hat and it's like that far back into the hood. I mean, it didn't look that cold. Uh, The other guy didn't, he just had this water on his hat, it's melted. Well, yeah. they both had hoods on. Just the one guy, uh, the cop had like a fur-lined hood. The other guy was just like a a regular hood on his jacket. But uh, yeah, he's like, going crazy out there by the lake. Like every every conversation has to end with, "Oh, gee, it's uh, looking like <laughs> it's going to be a cold one tomorrow." The front's coming through. <laughs> Everybody's a weatherman in Minnesota, especially every conversation will eventually steer to the weather. That's they all, they all look to the sky to see where the front is coming from. Keep to the polite niceties in conversation. End of story. (laughs) So this is where Carl, uh, buries the cash. Right. He goes way out in the middle of nowhere and discovers there's a million in there, not (laughs) 80,000. Yeah. And then, uh, then we get the scene where we already talk about Valerie. Marge's friend calls her up, tells her about Mike, and uh, and then she stops at Hardy's. <laughs> I had a Hardy's in my hometown. Uh, we had a Hardy's before anything else. We didn't have a McDonald's until about ninety three or ninety four. Had a Hardy's there. The Hardy's changed into a Burger King around the same time. We got a McDonald's. Burger King's no longer there. There's nothing there now, but. Yeah, the Hardee's is good. There's still a Hardee's, one of the next towns over. One of the few in the state now. You know, Carl's Jr. bought them, so Carl's Jr. operates it, but there's no Carl's Jr.'s here, right? Did they start no. putting Carl's Jr.'s? No? No. no. There was oh, still, there's, still, there's still a couple Hardee's, but... There's a Hardee's in Hinkley that we used to stop at from time to time. They also had curly fries. Yes. So it was like... Hardee's you know, is pretty decent. You know, we didn't have Arby's by our hometown, but we had Hardee's. So we're like, we can get curly fries that way. But they, they basically shut down all the Hardee's. I think there's one in downtown St. Paul. The Midway. And then, uh, yeah, Ham- they... Hamlin the 94, I think. Yeah, right next to the soccer stadium. <laughs> and then I think they both went in Oakdale a few years ago. No, wait, no, there's a McDonald's in in like, like the parking lot of the soccer stadium. Yeah, but a couple, like a block or two east of the soccer oh, okay. stadium, there's a Hardee's right off of the freeway. So I was like, I was season ticket holder. I was like, I haven't seen a Hardee's around there. This is turning into a very Fargo conversation. Like <laughs> I was just talking about. I want to know where this fucking Hardee's is. I want to. I want to go to Hardee's. Where, where is that in relation to the uh, the Popeyes? It was the only Popeyes in the state up until about ten years ago. Well, no, the only Popeyes oh. used to be just on Lake Street, and they've expanded now. But I thought there was one in St. Paul. There is now. Well, here's that a original. Well, yeah. the, here's the a Minnesota question. delicacy that it's not just Minnesota, but it's Midwest Minnesota delicacy that I've been going to 
but it's a shame that you have to go so far outside of Minneapolis, St. Paul, but at least once or twice a month now, I try to get the wife and kid go down to old or uh, pizza ranch, mm. <laughs> get that buffet at pizza ranch. Kirk cousins approved. <laughs> it is. <laughs> you guys like the pizza ranch for the price. I don't think they were okay. It's, it's been a long a good time place to take the I've family though. Oh, sure. It's got dessert pizza, ice cream, it. salad bar, chicken, potatoes. And all Here's the where pizza. I'll tie it all together, though. Is a great piece of trivia. I used to go to the one the... by Maplewood Mall. Is that one gone now? Oh, I don't know. Maplewood Mall suburbs. is like a ghost town now. Kind of by the myth <laughs> over there. I got to go down to uh, Lakeville. Yeah, the one in Lakeville. I just drove by it last week. <laughs> it's a good one. But here, the the Popeyes, the franchises up here, they were originally um, owned by Dr. John Nigerian, who was the doctor that performed the first open heart surgery. Is that why they don't honor business. the? Uh, is that why they don't honor the national sales? <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad I'm not the only one who gets that reference. I, that's one of the all-time funny YouTube videos. For you, yeah, for you people listening at home, look up Fox Nine Popeyes. <laughs> it won't be hard to find. You will. It is like the cringiest video to watch because this Fox Nine reports on this. It was, I think, it was Earth Day or Earth Day weekend or something, and Popeyes was doing some deal where it was like it was like a BOGO type of deal or like a a family bucket for like half price or something, brother. There was like a nationally televised deal, but the local franchises, specifically the one in Lake Street, was not honoring it. So you got all these people that are literally clogging up traffic. There's a line blocks away. (laughs) We have people taking taxis from three, four suburbs away just to get this deal. There was like a bus full of people that was in. They're showing the line. There's a bus in line. (laughs) <laughs> and you can just like the the poor reporter was trying to just he was doing his darndest to not sound racist but he's talking about <laughs> he was egging him on though because <laughs> most of the people in the video are black so it's like he's trying not to be like all oh, these black people are crazy about their fried chicken all huh? right but <laughs> it's like they're showing his clips and they're like it's obviously a lot of angry black people and He's just like, oh, I, I've never seen people this this passionate about their food. <laughs> well, my my one of my favorite parts just besides the guy saying, everything. Besides the guy saying he took a cab from Burnsville, thirty that's a thirty minute cab ride to say four dollars. Um, again, they're talking. It's cheap, like a twenty minute cab Minnesota, ride. Minnesota, sorry, like, a twenty dollar cab ride at least. Yeah, uh, but the. The Tom Lydon is the reporter's name and him going, you know, and I'm, I'm paraphrasing because it's been years since I've seen the video, but he's talking to a, you know, a very pissed off customer and he, he goes, the ad says the bucket's four ninety nine, <laughs> but they're not doing that. It costs eight ninety nine here. It's like, yeah, it's, it's not four ninety nine. It's eight ninety nine. <laughs> Again, arguing over $4. Like just completely losing your shit over five dollars, and they have a point. Like, but that's every franchise anywhere has the right not to do national promotions. But oh my god, it is an all-time YouTube video. To your to your point, 
14 Even the Minnesotan ago. people of color are Scandinavian. <laughs> yes, they're cheap Scandinavian. I mean, they're Johnsons. and you know. <laughs> Yeah, there's lots of Johnsons and not too many Gundersons, but... No. <laughs> that, that reminds me of a Mitch Hedberg bit where he's like, I want to... I want to open a McDonald's French uh, franchise. And, you know, they say you know prices and participation may vary. Well, I don't want to participate in shit. <laughs> <laughs> you want hamburgers? We don't get those. We got spaghetti. We're not <laughs> affiliated with that fucking cloud. <laughs> you want us to go to the last clip? Bring it on home. Yeah, okay. let's do it, Mr. Lundegaard. Sorry to bother you again. Can I come in? Yeah, no, I'm kind of I'm uh, kind of busy here. I understand. I'll keep it real short then. I'm on my way out of town, but I was wondering, do you mind if I sit down? Carrying a bit of a load here. No. I... Yeah, it's this vehicle I asked you about yesterday. I was just wondering. Yeah, like I told you, we haven't had any vehicles go missing. Okay. Are you sure? Because I mean, how do you know? Because of the crime I'm investigating, the perpetrators were driving a car with dealer plates, and they called someone who works here, so it'd be quite a coincidence if they weren't, you know, connected. Yeah, I see. So, how do you... Have you done any kind of inventory recently? The car's not from our lot, ma'am. But how do you know that for sure without doing a... Well, I would know. I'm the executive sales manager. Yeah, but I understand. We run a pretty tight ship here. I know, but, well, how do they establish that, sir? I mean, are the cars counted daily, or what kind of a routine here? Ma'am, I answered your question. I'm sorry, sir? Ma'am, I answered your question. I answered the darn... I'm cooperating here, and there, uh, there's no... Uh... Sir, you have no call to get snippy with me. I'm just doing my job here. I'm, I'm not, uh, I, I'm not arguing here. I'm cooperating and there's no, we're doing all we can. Sir, can I talk to Mr. Gustafson? Mr. Lundegaard. Well, heck, if you wanna, if you wanna play games here, I'm working with you on this thing here, but okay, I'll do a damn luck count. Sir, right now? Yeah, right now. You're darn tootin'. So damn important to you. What? I'm sorry, sir. Ah, oh, what the Christ. <laughs> what the Christ. <laughs> darn tootin'. Darn tootin', I know. Uh, what the Christ? I don't know. I don't think I ever heard that growing up. It sounds like something that a Minnesotan would say. It does. I just can't say I've actually heard that phrase, but it gets me every time he says it, though. Yeah, every time I hear it on this movie. Ah, what the Christ! I'm cooperating here. <laughs> Thrown off. No need to get snippy with me. <laughs> My mom would say that. Right. Yep. I've heard that plenty of times. Getting snippy. Definitely. The passive aggressiveness. And then he so, flees the he flees the interview. Yeah, things things don't really end well for Jerry as we talked about before. Yeah, he uh he gets arrested like a bitch. 
Brian is <laughs> in his underwear. In his underwear. <laughs> yeah. Did they call him Mr. Anderson? Like he was under a different name. Yeah, he, he, he was falling to, to sign into the to the hotel. But the the really old like motel owner that just, you know, opens up the door at that motel and then just kind of walks away. Telling, <laughs> he's a perfect acting job too. <laughs> yeah. With the cops yeah. at the end of that, and I'm glad that they that we end the movie. I mean, we're kind of jumping ahead, but I'm glad we end the movie with actually finding out that Jerry gets arrested. I, I wouldn't want to like to end the film right before that with the wood chipper with you know Jerry's whereabouts yeah. up in the air. Yeah, you're only you're only skipping the the most important part of the film. Yeah, I'm I don't sorry. think no, 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 but we don't have to touch on it because everyone knows it. Yeah, especially if you listen to this, everyone knows about the wood chipper. Well, he but axes because, him first. Yeah, because is, because uh... of Mr. Mora, got Marge's traveling around Moose Lake, I guess. He was over at Eklund and Sweatins. <laughs> I love those names, too. There's a lot of good uh, Scandinavian names in here. Gunderson, Eklund. Lundegaard. Uh, Lundegaard. Gustafson. I knew people with all those last names. Yeah. Uh, but you're right. Yeah, he does ax him after he tries to give him, gives him his $40,000. Uh, Gayer gives him some shit about splitting the car. When it split the car, yeah. How how the fuck are we gonna split the car? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> one pays for the other with their money, but he's like, "All right, I got shot in the face. I deserve it." Yeah, you can get the the other vehicle, the truck. I said truck. Yeah, yeah he says you truck, can take I my think. truck. But it's like, where did the where did the truck come from? They came in in the this the Sierra that. Yeah. Well, they must have been riding together before that, though, because you know they're at the camp clubs together before. But they're driving down there with the body. They show up, you know. They they do the joke thing where they let her go run around. It's out of the car, so I don't know where the truck. I don't know, but this is another. This is another instance where, and yeah, like twenty thousand dollars is a lot more than four dollars. But if I know I have, you know, $960,000 in a bag that I've hid <laughs> and the other guy goes, what about the car? I go, oh, it's yours or here's yeah. $10,000. Yeah. Fine. Right. I'm out of here. Right. You know, like I'm not. And, but again, he's very, he's a bozo and strong willed and an East coaster who's looking right. for an argument. So good point. But that's another one where I'm like, are we square? Okay. Did I all the crap in the Sierra? Oh. He showed the gun. He's like Ice Cube and Boys in the Hood. You know, we got prom here. We got prom here. Yeah. <laughs> Showing the gun. Well, yeah, like Clint said, uh, everybody's looking for this tan Sierra. <laughs> he should be looking to get rid of it. <laughs> so true. Yeah. Because that's what catches him in the at the end is Marge. Is, uh, she decides on a way home to drive around Moose Lake. And she sees the tan Sierra parked outside the cabin. That was great luck. That was great luck to find it so quick. He axes him, and then he's putting him through the wood chipper when Marge comes upon him. Yeah, he he must have been going for a while because he chopped him, you know, pits. He's down to one of the legs. Yeah, but just. (laughs) That was a a very impressive special effect because that foot looked real. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah it moved in a very realistic way mm-hmm. he runs she ends up shooting him in the leg on the on the frozen lake takes him in gives him uh gives him a morality lesson in the car about money well that was the other thing you know we talked about uh jerry trying to get weight into his trunk how did 
Marge get, uh, you know, uh, air into the back of her car. Well, he could probably still walk, at least on one foot, you know. Man, though, I would not want to get shot in the hamstring. God, that would hurt like a bitch. (laughs) She did call for backup, too, but uh, I don't know if the backup came before or after she, uh, yeah, they before she got out of the car, they did said they were sending at least two more vehicles or so. Kind of looked like they were passing, but you know, it's the 80s, you know, they tended to take away the suspects right away instead of waiting to kind of process the scene first. But you know, he would just overpower her shot leg or not you know going back to the car why would he show her mercy when he hasn't shown anyone else mercy yeah right. unless he didn't have his gun on him for some reason and then you know maybe at gunpoint he acquiesced oh one punch and she'd be out or a kick to the belly like Isaiah Ryder <laughs> right <laughs> As we said, uh, Jerry gets caught pretty easily in Bismarck, North Dakota. Uh, any other thoughts before we rate it? Well, it ends. It ends with Norm talking about getting on the three cent stamp. That's right. Which he's very disappointed about. But Marge says, "Well, you gotta have those three cent stamps. You know, when they raise the postage, get all the old stamps. You gotta put those three cent no stamps, stamps back them. then." Mm-hmm. That's right. The only thing I haven't mentioned yet that I wanted to make note of was. Uh, in the Lundergaard home in the bathroom, when they're they're going through it the first time, there's a Playboy in the, oh, yeah, the I magazine cubby home. Like, who's Jerry's looking at a Playboy and mm. you know at, at the house? Like, really? That seems well. Maybe there so was a nice offensive. article on home stereo equipment or something. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it was it was in the master bathroom connected to the bedroom, so it wasn't like the family bathroom. Yeah, I just but. I don't see him as a playboy guy and I don't see the wife being okay with having that in the bathroom, but I, I can see him as a playboy guy, but I agree. I don't see the wife as like being oblivious enough to overlook that. Yeah. That, so I, that was just another, like the picture of Scotty with the accordion on top of the TV killed me. And then, <laughs> and then just the playboy in the, and that's something that's obviously lost in our current world of technology, but you know, just playboys lying around or something is that's just funny to see, but definitely of its time. Yeah. Maybe Wade got him a subscription. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I doubt that. (laughs) This is a make you more of a man. You pussy. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Brother Clint and Mike, are you guys on letterboxd? I am not. You know, I just started it a couple weeks ago, so I'm at McGiveit to me, M C G I V E. I like that. McGiveit to me, T O M E. Um, so I did my first review, which is one of my favorites, Midnight Run. Okay. So you could That's go read one. that review, and I'm going to do a lot more in the next couple weeks. But I'm on there. I just joined, so I'm really excited. Nice. So I'm going to look you up right now. The past couple of years I've been on it, I haven't been logging everything that I watch. I've just been logging new watches in my diary and mm-hmm. doing reviews every so often. But this year I've decided I'm going to log everything that I watch, even all the rewatches. And I've been doing more reviews than usual. But um, in terms of rating this film, let's rate it with our rating system and the letterbox rating system. Our system is a five-tiered rating system. The top level is ASAP. It's watch this movie as soon as possible. 
films are the best of the best, old classics, new gems, if you will. Uh, the fourth tier is the soonish, then the eventually, then last resort, then the dreaded never category. You don't want to be watch this movie never. Our system is set up to kind of help you curate your uh, movie uh, viewing. You have a whole bunch of movies you want to watch. Well, we can tell you when to watch them, what order, I guess. Because you want to watch the best movies first, right? I want to prioritize, yes. Yes. And then uh, it's five stars with Letterboxd. So let's go to Brother Clint. What is your oh, rating for putting me on the spot? Well, it is my inaugural uh, time <laughs> watching it. So I was going to give it a why the fuck did I wait so long to watch it? <laughs> <laughs> But I, I would say it was an ASAP for sure. ASAP. That means now. I'm mad at myself. I waited so long. Uh, <laughs> it's been on my list for at least a decade. I remember being on Netflix for a long time, and I was always like, oh, I'll get to that. I'll get to that. And <laughs> yeah. just never did for whatever reason. And uh, as far as, like, stars, I don't know if I'd go all the way to, like, a five. I would say it's a good four four and a half like uh, four and a half let's say okay uh brett what say you i uh i gave it four and a half out of five on letterboxd uh which is a soonish it's a very high soonish soonish i i may be able to be talked into making it an asap at some point but a very high soonish for me if memory serves, the last time you watched this, you gave it about a three and a half stars, right? On Letterboxd? Uh, this is the first time I logged in on Letterboxd. Okay. Well, I thought when you saw it before, like you liked it, but you weren't, you know, over the moon for it. Like it was like it eventually for you. I don't think I had watched it in uh, about maybe 10 years. So where I gave you that DVD and you're kind of like, meh. Well, that's because it was the DVD. Yeah, still though. <laughs> it was some shitty DVD version of it. <laughs> Which I, I didn't watch that. I watched it on Max so I could watch it in HD. But I like I said earlier, like every time I watch it, it gets better. Um I think this is the fourth, maybe fifth time I've watched it. Um and it, it gets better every time. So uh as of now I will say soonish, but uh that's subject to change on rewatch. All right, Mike, how about you? I'm definitely putting it in uh ASAP category. <laughs> Because it's, you know, top tier from one of the best directors ever. Um, I also, you know, it's definitely on the short list of best, you know, major films from the 90s. And its legacy was now a five season TV show that's really good. I don't think you could make a, you know, a Forrest Gump TV show. I don't think you could make a, a Shawshank Redemption TV show and get a lot of legs out of it. So I think that the TV show has helped its legacy immensely. I think I probably think 10 years ago, I would have said four or five or right. four or four and a half star. But I think the TV show has been so good um, through its seasons and that it's really added to the legacy of the film. And uh, so I definitely am an ASAP if, and uh, I'm right at that, you know, four and a half um, on a letterbox Great. I mean, I could go five, uh, but I think uh, it's right there. Again, it's it's as good as it gets from the 90s. Uh, I've 
re-rated at five stars. I, I can't remember if I had it. I think I had it at four, four and a half before, but it's at five now for me on Letterboxd. It is an ASAP. As soon as possible. It's my favorite Minnesota film. My favorite Coen Brothers film. Not by a long shot because, you know, No Country for Old Men, Meg Lebowski, you know, they have some great ones. The Serious Man I really like as well, not as much, but that's another Minnesota one that's really good. But yeah, it's just, I I consider it a perfect film for me. I'm biased because I'm from here and I, you know, it's it's more geared towards people like me, but I'm not going to fault it for that. So yeah, five stars ASAP across the board. So let's do a few more fun facts, even though we've been talking about this for fucking ever. <laughs> Hey, everybody, here's some fun facts. I got one here that's, that we can discuss, maybe. Marge and Jerry actually have identical personalities when they're dealing with the general public anyway, in any way, that's perky in the face of extreme chaos, a perkiness that hides their own ruthlessness. Jerry comes across as a sweet, simple, naive, leave-it-to-beaver dad type, except when you realize he's a cold-blooded psychopath who's arranged for the kidnapping of his own wife and puts the events in motion that lead to four more brutal slayings. Marge comes across as a sweet, mild-mannered lady reporter type, a nice girl doing her job that just wants to be friends with everybody, until you realize she's a ruthlessly brilliant homicide detective who's stalking three murderers, who brilliantly foils the criminals, tracks them all down, and ends up capturing and jailing two of the kingpins. All the while, she's acting like a sweet June Cleaver type. They both pretend to be gentle and unassuming when they are not. And in a way, that's the Coen Brothers' commentary on Midwest culture and hypocrisy in general, the vicious underside of the glossy American dream. Much in the same way David Lynch dissected and vivisected American suburban life 10 years earlier with Blue Velvet. I do like that comparison. And David Lynch does have a lot of uh, humor in in his work. Uh, And he does examine small town America. But yeah, Coen Brothers more of a local flavor. So that was a quote or uh, a fun fact from the Coen brothers about the movie or where this is on IMDb. Yeah. And the funny thing is, I don't know if I agree with completely about Jerry. If I wanted my face covered in lies, I would still be in porn. Right. You don't have to agree with them. They, I, we, we call them fun facts, but it's just stuff, just trivia we're reading from IMDb. And we usually discuss whether like, ah, that sounds like bullshit or, like we don't go through every one of them. We just go yeah. through the ones that we think are interesting, just, whether they're true let's or say not. Jerry had unintended consequences. <laughs> you know, Marge knew what she was doing the whole time. Yeah. You know, for example, 69 of 141 found this interesting. So most people <laughs> actually don't agree with it. Well, I agree that there's more to meet the eye than meets the eye with their personalities. Sure. Um, but, you know, I, I still think like Lundegaard's just a doofus <laughs> yeah. I know. like I don't think he's a sociopath I think he's just stupid <laughs> and desperate I guess that could change if we ever find out what the hell he's in deep for you know where he owes money to or or who yeah. but here's a fun fact well I got a, another fun fact the actors used a book called how to talk Minnesotan to help with their accents I remember uh when we were kids uh for Christmas, I think one of our uncles gave uh, our dad a, a book called How to Talk Ranger. And it was like How to Talk Like an Iron Ranger. And mm. we used to bust our ass laughing oh at God. that. 
I wish I knew what happened to that. I don't know if it's still at the house or or where it went, but uh, God, it was so funny because it was like spot on. And Mm. I'm I'm sure this How to Talk Minnesotan is probably just similar to that. If it's cheap, buy two. (laughs) (laughs) A little words of wisdom were great. Yeah. And they'd have the, the, the pronunciation so like you could get the accent out. Here's a fun fact. One of the more sensational elements of the story was, in fact, quote-unquote, based on a true story, a man who disposed of his wife's body via a wood chipper. However, the murder did not involve a botched kidnapping and took place in New England rather than North Dakota. Of course, this is bullshit because uh, it was Minnesota, not North Dakota. But <laughs> anywho... Yeah. And I'm sure that's not the only body that's been disposed of through a wood chipper. I'm sure other people have thought of it. Tucker and Dale versus Evil had a very great scene <laughs> yeah. with a wood chipper. These damn kids are trying to kill themselves. Not to say that that's a that's like a a catch all for disposing of bodies. Like it's just gonna <laughs> everything's gonna work out great if you got a wood chipper. But I'm sure a lot of people was, would think uh... to do it. Well, Evil Evil Dad Rises had one at the end too. Was Fargo even the first movie to have a wood chipper uh, death scene? Scene like that? I feel like there's another one that did it before that. Before '96, you think? I can't think uh, of that. I swear there was. I don't know. Maybe it was like a Friday the Thirteenth or something. Actually, you know what, Brad? We actually talked about one on this very show less than a year ago, and Rumble in the Bronx from 1995. Remember, they put that guy's, they're threatening him. They're trying to get information out of him. And they put that guy, that, that guy's body through a wood chipper. Yeah. I, I knew it was something. I, I'm sure. I'm sure it happened. And I think that might have even been filmed in 94. Like it was, it was a year or two before this had come out. So it would have been great if Jackie Chan had been hitting on Francis McDormand <laughs> in the uh, <laughs> restaurant. But in great, Mike <laughs> uh, great with his with his accent too. Oh, that would have been great. Well, it's such a such a anti Hollywood thing to do to have the uh, the Japanese guy with the the heavy Minnesota accent instead yeah. of the foreign accent. Mm-hmm. Well, you see that on the show too. On, on yeah. the Fargo TV show is everybody's got the crazy accent, and you know, so. That's also taking from the movie, too. It's very funny. Here's another fun fact. Here's another one. The scene where the couple tries to make a deal with Jerry is based on Ethan Cohen's real-life encounter with a car salesman. <laughs> Quote, it's almost a verbatim transcript of my experience. <laughs> we all had examples. I mean, it's so true. Everyone does. It's such a universal thing. Yeah. 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 Another fun fact I know that I know that William H Macy like begged for the role. Mm. He was not originally casted, and the Cohen brothers didn't have him in mind for the part. But he really uh, hounded them for the job, and he ended up being right. I mean, it's a great part. He does a great job. Yeah, I skipped over one, but apparently he uh, tracked him down to New York where they were starting production and said, "I'm very, very worried that you're going to screw up this movie by giving this role to somebody else." It's my role, and I'll shoot your dogs if you don't give it to me. <laughs> it's my money, and I want it now. <laughs> and then they had to add, he was joking, of course. Was he? Was he joking? <laughs> he got the role. He didn't shoot the dogs. So we'll never know. 
I did notice, uh, and not to take away anything from her because I thought she was great. Frances McDormand was listed as uh, Joel Cohen's wife on his bio, and I had no idea that they yeah. were married. Yeah, 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 they are. That's why she's in every one of their movies. That, that they must have met at Blood Simple, right? That's their first film. Yep. Mm-hmm. And, they might have even been married before that. I don't know. Well, she's great. Uh, so. Says April first, nineteen eighty four. Wow, so that's right. That's right around the time of Blood Simple. Yeah, that's incredible. So uh, Frances McDormand, speaking of her, wore a pregnancy pillow filled with birdseed to simulate her pregnant belly. She says that she didn't deliberately try to move in a pregnant way; it simply came as a natural response to keeping the extra weight balanced. Mm. What you see on there, Margie? Oh, nothing. Just think I'm gonna puke. <laughs> Here's a fun fact. Peter Stormare described the Swedish American community of Minnesota as feeling almost more Swedish than in Sweden. With a commitment to old traditions, he found very moving. So that Swede was a fan. Here's another fun fact. It says three weeks in the shooting, the Cohen brothers revealed to the cast and crew that this was not, in fact, based on a true story. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, and the wood chipper is uh, at display at the Fargo Moorhead Visitor Center. If you want to go visit the wood chipper, that it is. Wow, I've heard as much. Yeah, that's awesome. I think that'll do it for fun facts. We've uh, talked this to death, damn near three hours. Brother Clint, uh, let's get your plugs out first. Twitter, you got to get a letterbox, dude. Uh, I should make this the year that I started. It's early enough where I can get the full stats. For the, yeah. for the year but uh twitter or x i guess it's officially named now yeah. brother underscore clint you can find me at uh, other than that i don't have any other plugs at this uh, time mike what's your x it's at make it to me That's as right. well so give okay. it the number to me um but actually it would be a good time to follow me on letterbox since i just joined it now i'll really start cataloging the things i'm watching and i'm really excited to be on that platform because i've liked it for for years now but never never joined so it's a really cool app brett is at positively wolf one which is the same as his uh, sorry he's on x at positively wolf one which is also his letterbox profile mine is under eric underscore molder but brett where can people support the show financially if they feel so inclined to do so you can go get some merchandise at wtmwatchthismovie.creator-spring.com. What would help the show more is if everyone out there rated and reviewed the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever they listen or download the show. You can email us to watch this movie at yahoo.com. And say you can check out our website, but I forget what it is now. It's like watch this movie at pod.podbean.com, I think. The wtmwatchthismovie.podbean. Yeah, I don't know. Whatever. One of those things. It's you don't not, really need... go to go just Google WTM watch this movie. <laughs> Obviously, you're listening, so you know where to yeah. find us. There, there's no other. There's nothing else on the website right now, so you don't really have to. But we've released uh, a lot of our older episodes recently in this little break we had. So this is the new season. We're off to bigger and better things now. We have another Minnesota movie coming up. And then uh, we're going to be getting into movies from our youth and the top 10 of the year of 2023, that is. 
Oscars. We've got plenty of stuff coming up. Plus our uh, episode with Stu for Australia Day, which will That's come right. after this one. Indeed. Other than that, we will check you later. Guess we'll see you around. All right, check you later. Bye. Later. Wait, man, why are you always such a dork, man? What are you talking check about? You later. Check you later. <laughs> hey, man, you're off my case. If Stan calls, you just tell him I went to Embers.